0: I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as alien slugs, social experiments, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of
1: course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers.
0: So are we a monthly podcast now? Um, we're a periodical. (laughs) Is that a thing? Sorry, guys, I'm not giving any excuses for us, but shit's not been normal recently for either of us, and we can't stay on schedule right now.
1: Hey, to be fair, the excuse is sitting across the table from you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say that. (laughs) But we're here now, and that's all that matters, and we'll just try better the next time. Yeah. Probably gonna fail, but you know. Here we are, belatedly sitting here on September 5th, recording episode 65 for you guys. Damn. As far as news goes, I think I'm going to start shortening this segment because it gets really long sometimes. So I'm only going to say really big shit or really relevant shit to us, except for in this case, I'm narrowing it down even further and I'm only going to do shit that happened in like the past week because it's been so long since we recorded. All right. I don't think the Malignant trailer was out when we recorded last, but even if it wasn't, it looks badass.
1: I still haven't seen it.
0: Well, I'm going to show you before I leave today. Yay. And we also now have a Midnight Mass teaser trailer.
1: And that I've seen, because you sent it to me. <laughs>
0: exactly. That looks pretty good. And it's Flanagan. So I'm sure I'm going to like it. And they just released a poster the other day with like a little hint that there's a full trailer coming soon. So I'm okay. excited. Fidi Alvarez is producing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which we've talked about in the past. But the new development with that is it's going to be a Netflix exclusive.
1: I don't care as long as it comes out.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and the last thing I want to say, you can look this up anywhere but on the shutter site oddly enough i can't really find any information there even though i'm regularly on shutter but they're doing a big 61 days of halloween this year instead of 31 and you can google it and pull up some shit about that the only thing kind of disappointing i was hoping it was a list of 61 movies that they recommend you watch over the next few days yeah they're just saying they have new halloween content for 61 days so it started with superhost they came okay. out a week ago and basically they have something new or they're adding something they didn't have previously every week to have stuff going. It's just, I don't know. It's kind of weird because they're shutter. They always have horror shit. So
1: yeah, they're, they're just like, Hey, we're just going to call this something since we got all this shit coming out anyways.
0: <laughs> and I think there's a new VHS coming out is one of the movies on the list. So oh, really? Yeah. Should be cool to watch, but that's all I have.
1: Well, uh, speaking of, uh, paring down the news and lateness. So I was really excited last episode, which was, I don't know how many weeks ago now about how two houses, IP houses had been officially announced for Halloween horror nights. That episode went up and then universal said, here's everything else.
0: Right. I saw that. I thought it was hilarious.
1: (laughs) So as of this recording, Halloween horror nights has been open for two, three days if we include tonight. Okay. And, uh, Here's to hoping that everybody keeps it safe and keeps it fucking open. And in just a few short weeks, I'll be able to come back and gush about how great it was.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Updates and corrections. This is a long looking one. No shit. <laughs> and it's been a while. So forgive me. Christopher Donlan was the editor of Creep and the third person that helped make the movie.
1: Ah, okay.
0: It was episode 234 of the movie Crypt that had Mark Duplass, Patrick Bryce, and Desiree Akavan on it. Ah. Nice, and I couldn't remember which show it was, so it was that one. There's an episode number for you, it's a good one to listen to. Really, I haven't heard a bad one on there, but it's a good one. (laughs) When I was going over my list of American Horror Stories episodes, I somehow completely skipped episode four with the frat guys and (laughs) Joe, yeah, and Santa Danny Trejo, and Billy Lord was episode five. I called it four. But that was a pretty good episode, too. And the funny story with that one is I was trying to watch it while I had to stay late at work one night and do database stuff overnight. Okay. And Hulu will usually, like, run an ad or trailer before something. And I thought it was some shitty reality frat guy show. <laughs> and it just kept going. And, like, five minutes in, I'm like, did I pick the wrong fucking thing? Or is this the longest trailer ever? And I realized it was, in fact, American Horror Stories, uh, So they got me. Anyways, that show's over now, so it's been so long. I'm trying to figure out my Blood Red Sky note here, but if I remember correctly, Josh had told me about it, and I hadn't seen it yet, and I think my note is because I watched it after we recorded, and he had said it was a German movie, and I just want to point out that it's half German and half English, and they even have European and American actors in there, including Dominic Purcell, who we've covered on the Blade trilogy. So it was kind of a neat mix there. Yeah. And the last note I have is that I searched high and low for the alternate endings for creep. And from what I can tell, they've never released them, but they did say in an interview that they're going to release them all someday. I'm assuming when the trilogy is completed and you can get a box set if I had to guess. Okay. And as far as what we watched, I have kind of a long list here. I think <laughs> I watched the suicide squad. I think the night that we recorded last time. Okay. That is a very James Gunn movie. Yeah, it is. And it was fucking hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, it was. (laughs) And without spoiling anything, just like the first 10 minutes not going where you think the movie's going to (laughs) go was fantastic. I watched Blood Red Sky, of course. I also watched Blood Vessel, which was another vampire movie. I saw it on Shudder. It's a World War II, like U-boat type movie with vampires. And it was fucking awesome. I don't want to make it sound stupid, but I liked it. (laughs) And I like the monstrous vampires. You don't get those always.
1: Yeah. Strigoi. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I saw Superhost because it was on the 61 days of Halloween. Have you seen that yet?
1: No, I saw the trailer for it this morning because the wife was talking about it. And I'm like, I think I saw that in Jesse's notes. I should watch the trailer. And I'm like, <laughs> Rebecca's fucking crazy.
0: I, know, I, know. <laughs> I liked it a lot. It's very much inspired by creep.
1: You oh, you'll like when you watch it, dude, totally bad. When I saw the trailer this morning, I turned to the wife and I'm like coming off the heels of just doing creep one <laughs> and two. I've got to see this fucking movie.
0: It's not a found footage movie. So it is like done like a standard film, but it it has some inspiration. in there. I'm pretty sure there's a line taken straight from it as well. But the (laughs) director and writer did a AMA on Reddit the other day and somebody said something and he he said he hadn't seen Creep before he started the screenplay. Okay. But he watched Creep while he was doing it and it very much influenced the the main character. Ah, all right. After the fact, but it's really good. Everybody check that out. I missed Don't Breathe 2 in theaters, but it came out on demand this weekend and I watched it. Yeah. Lots I could say here. One, I liked it a lot. It got shit on online really bad. I don't don't know why. I don't know why either. And it's really weird because you could never watch the first one and it could even not be linked to the first one and it stands on its own. Oh yeah, totally. You don't need a single piece from the first one. And I think a lot of what people didn't like is they see him as like a heroic character. And after finding out he's a rapist in the first one, people are pissed about that and just won't even talk about the rest of the movie other than that. And he did not come off as a good guy to me in that movie. And I really feel like people confuse the term protagonist and hero. Yeah. Like your protagonist can be the most evil motherfucker in the movie. Yeah. Just means they're the star that we're following through. Yeah. I think the movie was about rooting for the girl, not rooting for yep. him. 100%. And just take it as that and just watch it for a crazy fucking action movie. And watching Stephen Lang. I love Stephen Lang, and I hated that he had to be a creepy <laughs> rapist bad guy in the first one. And he's still that guy, but since they don't bring up any events from the first one, you can just watch Stephen Lang be Stephen Lang a little bit.
1: Yep. And the movie really had fun turns. Yep. like. Like a a couple of out of nowhere fun turns.
0: But anyways, just watch the movie. (laughs) Judge it for yourself. I thought it was a lot of fun. Just remember he's not the hero and you're not there to root for him. Yeah. Anyways, I also saw Candyman. And have you seen it yet? Nope. I will not spoil. I wouldn't spoil anything anyways, but (laughs) I liked it a lot. It might be a little too artsy for you. Oh, man. But sometimes you like movies that are artsy if it's done the right way. And while there's your more stereotypical artsy stuff, I want you to pay attention when you watch it. One, look at everything that could have a reflection at any point in time. Oh, yeah. And two, just look at slanted angles. And that's all I'm going to say. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's to fuck with your head. You know, people used to try to copy Kubrick's shining techniques, and it never works. Yeah. I think somebody figured out how to do it on their own. (laughs) Okay. And I don't know. I liked it. It was a good modern twist. To it, It's not really a twist, but I just mean like a modern spin on it, like to tell the tale. And it's, it's a sequel. Let's just call it a sequel. Okay. But for anybody who hasn't seen it, go fucking watch it. We got new horror movies in the theater. Yay. And the last couple of things I watched, I finished American Horror Stories since... <laughs> The last episode, which, God, you'd hope so, because it's been so long now. And I'm completely caught up on American Horror Story Season 10, which I really like so far. I like how each of the stories has to be six episodes, because usually it's a slog where they, like, drag somewhere in the middle, and then they have to throw everything together. And this season, since they only have six episodes to tell the first story, it's just, like, right out the gate. Like, people are dead. This happened to the main character already, and we're set up for this.
1: Yeah, it's going. Same on those last two And, uh, I don't know stories towards the end of that was a little, meh.
0: I like the meta episode at the end.
1: (sighs) There's elements of it that I like the execution. I don't like, okay. Okay. Um, but like you just said, this, this season of American horror story, like I love how it's just going right. And uh, it's, it's kind of like watching a James Gunn movie. Once it once it goes, it goes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so what have you watched besides that?
1: Um, besides those, the only other thing I've really got to add is a new season of what we do in the shadows, which I I, I still like that show more than the movie. Okay, And it's just it's fun. It's so stupid. And it's fun because we all know people like that. They're just not foreign vampires. <laughs> um,
0: I haven't actually started that one yet, but I love the movie. I'm trying to get my wife on board cuz i think she would like it okay so i'm waiting if i can't get her on board soon i might try to marathon through that
1: <laughs> but uh that's it man i've been watching fucking below deck with the wife for the past two nights <laughs> and uh working and sleeping and fucking off cuz it's been hell
0: <laughs> i was going to try to take my kids to the movies this weekend to see Shang Chi the new Marvel movie but yeah everything fell through yesterday i didn't get to take them to the spirit of halloween store or go to the movie so maybe i can rectify that tomorrow on labor day ah uh-huh. But anyways, on with the show. Let's dive into the episode. We're here to talk about James Gunn, who has worn a lot of hats in a few different industries. And we're actually going to come at him from two angles on this episode as both a director and screenwriter and just a screenwriter on a film because he's bounced back and forth. Yep. And he's had a pretty interesting career with its progression and tracks. I want to start off a little bit on the man and then we'll go into the films. James Gunn was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri on... August the 5th, 1966. Another August birthday guy. I like it. I like it.
1: (laughs) Oh, speaking of, happy birthday, you asshole.
0: (laughs) Thank you. We were actually supposed to record this on my birthday weekend, but, you know, Josh happened. So his father and uncle were both attorneys, but he was always in a film. And like so many other directors that we have covered on the show, he started making short movies at home when he was like 12 and he used just his brothers and they were basically splatter picks, right? With zombies and gore and whatever they could do. So obviously he was in a horror movie. He liked monster movies and stuff from, from those eras. But once he graduated from high school, he began working on a bachelor's degree at St. Louis university until he dropped out to become a musician with his band, the icons. And they recorded one album and it wasn't very profitable. And he was having to have a job as an orderly while all this was going on. And he decided he needed to do something else with his life, right? But that time, working as an orderly gave him his idea to write his novel, The Toy Collector, which came out in 2000. And it's about an orderly who stole drugs from the hospital and sold them for money to buy toys for his collection, okay? And he said... That that novel was written off of things he saw working there. So I'm assuming there was an orderly still in drugs to sell him, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. His name was James Gunn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say that. But he eventually went back to St. Louis University and he finished his BA. And then he moved to New York to go to Columbia University to get his MFA. Okay. And his master's degree was in prose writing, not film writing. While working on his master's, James was introduced to Lloyd Kaufman at Troma pictures by one of his brothers, because all four of the brothers work in the film industry. Yep. And his brother introduced him to Lloyd. So he could try to get a job and he went and met with Lloyd or applied for the job at the office or something. And he thought he was going to get a job filing papers or something, or maybe, you know, glitch work on special effects, <laughs> cleaning toilets. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. And, you know, Lloyd saw that he was a fancy pants writer and wanted to know if he would write a screenplay for him for $150 because he had this idea for Tromeo and Juliet. He just needed somebody to fucking write it and he agreed. He decided to write it for $150 and you'll see some things say he only made $150 for that movie, which isn't true. They have a standard fee at Troma. They give the producers and directors and stuff like that. Once the movie starts, but his fee to write the script was $150, All right, but he didn't just write the screenplay for Tromia and Juliet, he got to work on the set and do a lot of jobs from start to finish. And he said that was better than going to any film school because he actually got to work start to finish on a film. He wrote the film, then he helped cast it. Then he was the associate director, right? So it wasn't just Lloyd who directed it. And if you hear stories, it sounds like he directed a lot of it. Yep. He set up all the test screenings and even helped with the marketing. And one thing that blew my mind that I did not realize until the other night is he's the founder a peanut dad.
1: No shit, yes, he is. Yes, yes. He the just has infinites. very short air. yeah. He yeah. found a
0: peanut dead, But this was the launching point of his career, and he got to do everything on a movie. Now, it was a trauma movie, but we grew up on trauma movies. I had the largest VHS trauma collection you could imagine once upon a time. <laughs> and somewhere during all this, he co-wrote the book, All I Need to Know, about filmmaking I Learned from the Toxic Avenger with Lloyd Kaufman. And it's about Lloyd Kaufman. And I wish I knew who the fuck had my copy of that book. Granted, I could just rebuy it, but I loaned it out and I never saw it again.
1: Well, we know it wasn't me because I fucking hate reading.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But Gunn eventually left Troma and moved to L.A. and wrote a film called The Special, which came out in 2002 and he even acted in it. And he said this was a game changer for him because he was writing within a genre and it helped get him in that mindset. And it was a comedy superhero movie. Okay. With his brother Sean and Rob Lowe's in it and all sorts of shit. So he started on superhero movies. Pretty early, it seems like. (laughs) But after the specials, he had some added notoriety, and he was able to get a screenplays into studios easier. And he wrote one for Spy vs. Spy from Mad Magazine and Scooby-Doo. They picked up the Scooby-Doo script, which came out in 02. I think they even picked up a Spy vs. Spy script, but it fell through for other reasons. Yeah. And the Scooby-Doo movie did so well that they were even able to make a sequel in 04, which he also wrote that. I would have loved to have seen the movies if he directed them. I think he was going to take a more adult approach.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's that's like right up there with Goonies. I want to see the original hard R script
0: floating around for that. Or the PG-13 Lost Boys. Yeah, that'd be weird too. Both of those come up on the show all the time, and it's because I want to see them both greatly. But 2004 was a great year for Gunn because it's the year that he became the first screenplay writer to ever have two number one movies back to back one weekend after the other. Cause that's also the year that Dawn of the Dead came out that Zack Snyder directed and James Gunn wrote. Okay. Yep. In 2006, he was able to direct a film for his first time and it was Slither, which we're going to cover later on this episode. In 2010, he wrote and directed a movie called Super, which was another superhero movie that was a comedy, dark comedy or whatever. And that was the second superhero film, and you're going to start seeing a pattern here soon.
1: Yeah, and that movie gets shit on, and it shouldn't, because I don't even like half the people in that movie, and I fucking like that movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But in 2012, he branched out and wrote a video game called Lollipop Chainsaw. I didn't know he did that. Yeah, I even saw this German show on YouTube. It was in English, but I guess they take actors out for a night and and let them hang out and see what they do, and it was Michael Rooker and James Gunn going out for the night. Okay. And at one point, they go out to dinner, and another point, they go to the set of a movie that's being filmed because the director wants to meet James, and it's starring one of his ex-girlfriends, and he's like, this is going to be fucking weird because she hates me. And so he's telling Rooker in the car. (laughs) And they go to the studio where they're making lollipop chainsaw and he directs michael rooker doing all of his lines as the boss in that game and then rooker takes him to the shooting range that he owns to teach him how to shoot a gun because he's never shot before and it's fucking ridiculous he's a good shot it's just the way he's like i'm gonna shoot the girl and not the guy because this is a trap and stuff like that <laughs> he's ridiculous in it and rooker of course lights everything up
1: I have to see this.
0: It's pretty cool. I'll find the link and send it to you. From that point on, the rest is pretty much history because his next film was the writing and directing of Guardians of the Galaxy in 2014 because he was a big enough deal now that he can do Marvel movies for Disney, which were very wanted positions at this point in time. It's already established universe. And he did well enough on this to get given a sequel. And from there, the third one which he was fired from by Disney. And I'll go into that in a little bit in a minute, which caused him to get hired by Warner brothers to make the suicide squad in 22. Cause they're like, yeah, you guys might've fired him for some shit, but we'll take him." <laughs> and the suicide squad might be one of the most James Gunn movies that have ever been James gunned
1: yeah well and that's the thing because like you've heard me rag on fucking comic book movies on this show and in personal life for years it's just not my thing i don't they're not bad it's just not for me but the shit he does like oh sign me up there's a giant fucking starfish walking through the fucking city i don't care that that's from the book or not of course it is from the book and i've I learned that later like yeah man, that's, that's the shit that really happens but it's like it's james good it's his fucking humor his humor i fucking love
0: right and he's uh He's got a potty mouth and pretty dark sense of humor, <laughs> and it's really weird that he did Scooby-Doo and Guardians of the Galaxy because he is meant to do Rated-R shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure there's going to be a Suicide Squad sequel down the road. We'll see. He already wrote the Peacemaker TV show starring John Cena, so that's coming out soon. Yeah. They actually shot it already. Oh, okay. Yeah, he wrote it in quarantine. He said he just started fucking hammering shit out. But since then, Disney has rehired him to do Guardians of the Galaxy part three. So he's working on that film now. And since his AAA film career has launched, he's only worked on two other horror films. The Belko Experiment in 2016, which he just wrote, and we're going to cover that later on the episode. And Brightburn, which he's listed as the producer only, with his brothers being the writers. And I feel like he had a bigger hand in writing and directing the movie and that they merely left his name off of everything other than producer <laughs> because he had already been canceled out.
1: That's a very real possibility. I need I want to go back and watch that movie again with that in mind.
0: Well I had heard about how James Gunn had was making this Brightburn movie and then it turned into his brother's movie. So yeah. I feel like it kind of went under the table like that. And I guess we have to kind of go into what happened there. Apparently somebody dug up some old tweets of his and they were like really old. And I think he made a couple of pedo jokes in them or something. And he had on his own deleted them years before and before like cancel culture was a thing. And he had already publicly apologized for the jokes. And he said, look, I grew up working at Troma. That's how I started. We have a dark sense of humor, and it was just that a joke. And I'm sorry for anyone that might have offended. He did that years before anybody even brought it up. And then when they brought it up, he pointed out that he had apologized for it before. And that he hasn't done anything crazy like that since then. And they still got rid of him. But his cast and crew thought he was a nice guy. They thought he was great to work with. They didn't think he'd do anything bad, and they stood up for him. They said they weren't going to do Guardians of Galaxy three without James Gunn. Yeah, and that's how he got his job back. So hopefully we don't hear any other crazy shit. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, see that's the thing, man. Like there's people you could talk about. Like a comedian comes to mind where people are like, that joke was off limits. And like I don't. I think everything can be funny in the right content right. and taken to the right level. And then there's some things that are over the line or like in the wrong. Area. Right. And that's totally subjective. Like what's funny to me, maybe like you're going to burn in hell to someone else. <laughs> and I get that. And some of this shit we'll never know. But, you know, it, it, we're here to talk about the movies. Right. And that's kind of like what sucks. Like I've talked about before, like, I hate X, Y, Z person and I'll never watch any of their films because they're a dickhead. And like. Well, that's not the movie's fault.
0: Right. You hear that a lot from people where they refuse to watch a movie that was written, directed, or or starring this person because they don't agree with them politically. There's plenty of musicians and bands that I don't agree with, (laughs) but I still like them. Right. And I listen to them for the music they are or watch the movie. And as far as jokes go, jokes are always made at somebody's expense. Right. And they're always something dark. That's what makes them funny because that's what people like to hear. And I think you really should just judge somebody by their actions anyways. So if somebody's made a joke about something that was in a situation where people were joking, they've never done anything bad like that, then I don't know. Maybe it was just a joke. Exactly.
1: And we're in no way on god's green earth or bob's green earth whatever you want to call it condoning any of that kind of shit absolutely right. not but at the same time i really hope we're going to see cancel culture in general kind of peter out because we've reached the point where it's like oh my god did you see this did you see this back in 1996 i have video of this supposed vegan drinking milk like i, I people go back and do that like i know. it's nuts but let's talk about the entertainment <laughs>
0: I have a couple other thing and notes to add to James Gunn's career, and then I'm ready to dive into the first film. One I wanted to mention, the trauma film, Terror Firmer* that came out in 99. It was inspired by the book he wrote with Lloyd Kaufman. So the, the plot of that movie is basically a slasher killing people on a trauma set for a film, right?
1: Yeah. That's the one where they're like all sleeping in the church and shit.
0: Yeah. Okay. And he is partially credited to that film because he wrote the book. Okay. thing I know about filmmaking I learned from the Toxic Avenger that it's inspired by. And then he also did unaccredited additional writing for 13 Ghosts, which I don't remember if we brought that up on that episode or not. I don't know.
1: I don't remember finding that. I'm a bad podcaster.
0: <laughs> I think they made him fix the script, basically. Like, here's the script doctor. <laughs>
1: Kevin Smith does that a lot.
0: <laughs> Carrie Fisher actually did that a whole lot. Really? Yeah. And he also directed the last three cameos of Stan Lee before Stan Lee passed. Damn. Because the first one was going to be in Guardians 2, and they wanted to go ahead and get a couple more in the can. So he directed the next two, which I can't remember which ones they were because there's 20-something movies in the MCU. (laughs) But those are directed by James Gunn, the last three. Nice. And I just want to say, at this point, he has written 12 movies with full credit as a writer, and he has two on the way. But he's only directed six movies and has one on the way. So... In a way he's kind of more of a screenplay writer than a director. True. Except for when he's directing his own shit, which I think he always has traditionally. Like he's an on tour. I can't point out things as much as I can other directors, but I fucking know a James Gunn movie when I watch it.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, you, you can tell well for me it's it's the dialogue. It's 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 not even potty humor. It, it's more dark humor. And this is, this is shit we'll get into later on. There's a lot of stuff in his writing that is deeper than people fucking understand right. what it is on, on the surface. There's a lot, there is more depth to what he writes.
0: And everyone who works with him seems to love the guy and want to work for him a lot. I mean, his Guardians crew went to bat to defend him, right, and yep. got him his job back. And if you look at almost any movie he's ever directed or wrote or both – he has almost the same cast in fucking everything. Yeah. Everybody always wants to come back and work for him. There's got to be a reason for that. But now that we know about the man, let's dive into our first film, which is 2006 Slither, which was written and directed by James Gunn. And like I said earlier, this was his directorial debut. And I guess I don't have to go into his accolades because we just went through that yeah. in depth, right? But the movie starring Nathan fucking Philion is Sheriff Bill Party, who... Had the funny scene in Saving Private Ryan as the wrong Ryan. Started out in Two Guys, a Girl, in a Pizza Place. Was the bad guy on Buffy. Fucking Firefly, one of my favorite shows of all time, which, I mean, it was an ensemble cast, but he was amazing on there. Yes. The Serenity film based off of that. Dr. horrible sing-along blog, where his dick is the hammer, right? <laughs> and he's had the show Castle. He was great on Santa Clarita Diet. He now has a show called The Rookie, and he's been in so many more things, horror, genre, anything, that this list would get way too long if I did it all.
1: Well, he's also the only motherfucker alive that should be cast to play Nathan Drake. (laughs) Um, At least we got the fucking short fan film, but I'm still angry about this shit, all right? I'll give the movie a chance, but after seeing that fan film, he is the perfect Nathan (laughs) Drake. And I've said that before on this show, and I couldn't let it go.
0: I think even now he is saying that he feels like he's gotten too old to do it. Like I, at this point,
1: fuck that, man. He Guardians of the Galaxy, man. We, you could de-age people, man. We got
0: this. <laughs> I think you're going to be surprised with Tom Holland. I love Tom Holland. Everybody was mad when he got cast as Spider-Man, and then he's instantly everybody's favorite Spider-Man. So, all right, anyway. <laughs> We have Elizabeth Banks as Starla Grant, and, of course, she's famous from the Hunger Games series, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. She's the mom in Brightburn, and she's one of the two hilarious hosts, I guess you would say, on the Pitch Perfect movies.
1: Okay. She's also a 40-year-old virgin. That's what I remember her right. from, and Zach and Mary make a porno. Like, she's been in a lot of
0: shit. Yeah. I mean, most of these people's. Acting credits are way too long to go in on here. And she's also a pretty big producer now. Yep. She seems to produce a shit ton now. Our next cast member is Michael Rooker as Grant Grant. And. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. What more do I need to say? James Gunn saw him in that movie when he was younger, and that was one of the movies that made him want to do dark shit. And he's like, I'm working with Rucker one day. And by God, that motherfucker got to work with Rooker a lot. So it wasn't Days of Thunder? No, no, no. It wasn't Days of Thunder, though. And Guardian of the Galaxies one and two. I'm very popular y'all. mall Rats is the first thing I always think of him from. <laughs> yeah, probably should be Days of Thunder, technically. The Walking Dead. Yeah. Elko Experiment. Brightburn. Love and Monsters is probably one of the more recent ones, and I really liked him in that. And The Suicide Squad, which I forgot to mention Nathan Fillion was also in The Suicide Squad because everybody comes back to work for James Gunn. There's a lot of people in this movie. I'm only doing a few of the primary ones. We got Greg Henry as Mayor Jack McCready, who is named after both Jack Burton and McCready from The Thing on purpose. Shit ton of TV. He was on most recently The Killing, The Following, Hell on Wheels, Chicago Med, just to name a few. And I mean, he starred in lots of episodes. He wasn't just like on one of them. And he's in Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 as Quill's grandpa. He's in The Belco Experiment as the voice, and so much more. And the last cast member I'm going to cover is Tanya Sonia, who was not related to Jeremy Sonia. Okay. <laughs> who plays Kylie Strutmeier. And she was in a show called caitlin's way a movie called the invisible and she was in that terrible Uwe bowl in the name of the king a dungeon (laughs) siege movie which i watched once i don't remember liking it and i didn't know who she was then i was actually surprised that her credits were so small because i liked her in this movie a lot yeah and the special effects on this movie this movie has a lot of practical some full digital but there's digital touch-ups on a lot of the practical work as well And unfortunately, I didn't put the digital person's name. I feel bad because there is so much practical work that was worked on so hard in this movie. And it was done by Todd Masters of Masters Effects, which is a fucking legend at this point. Yeah. Which he's done lots of movies and TV. Like, as far as TV, he did Almost Human, Hemlock Grove, True Blood. Like, that's just a few of the shows he's done. As far as movies, he's done a few James Gunn movies. Some of them not even horror. So I'm not even going to cover those. But he did a lot of the Underworld movies and... I think he did 30 Days a Night, and he did The Red State. There's so many I don't even want to go through this shit because he's done so many movies. and I'm just looking at my notes like, what the fuck? But look up Todd Masters. Chances are you've seen most of his body of work, and he did a fantastic job on this film. And
1: chances are we'll end up covering those movies, too, because that's how this shit goes.
0: (laughs) They're probably on the next episode. We don't know. They always link. But a little bit of backstory, and then I'll dive into the film. Gunn came up with the movie after having an image in his head of a young woman with an alien worm trying to burrow into her mouth. And he's like, I got to write a movie off of this because it's terrifying looking. And he wanted to bring back the feeling of 80s monster flicks such as The Fly. Right. And he fucking went with it.
1: Is this one of those cases of and halfway through writing it, somebody's like, hey, have you ever seen Night of the Creeps?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It really isn't. A rip off a night of the creeps other than having alien slugs that can mind control you.
1: Yes, it is a, I see this as like a spiritual retelling, but at least the origin as the movie starts, but it goes its own direction. Yeah. But it's definitely in that vein. I can't, I can't not make the
0: joke. Yeah. A few studios wanted the movie, and he could have gone with any of them, but he really wanted to go with Gold Circle and Universal because they told him he could start immediately and have almost full control of the film.
1: Him and Carpenter, man.
0: <laughs> he had already established himself as a famous screenplay writer at this point in time. This is just his directorial debut. So, And one thing I thought was interesting on the commentary is that he told Nathan Fillion that they were making a funny movie, not a comedy, and that's when Nathan got it like how he's supposed to react to this. And I like saying it that way. Yeah. Like that's a good way to do it. And I think Nathan was actually, if I remember correctly, they cast him a week before they started filming. Okay, like he was the last person they cast. And with Elizabeth banks, he wanted a Hitchcock blonde and okay. she walked in and he's like, she is fucking perfect for this. <laughs> And that's about it. I have a lot of extra information about the movie, but I have it buried in my synopsis. So we'll just dive into the film and go from there. We start out with a meteor plummeting towards the earth. And while it's breaking at mode, we cut to Sheriff Party with his deputy Wally sitting in the squad car together. And the sheriff's trying to take a nap while the deputy's angry that he guessed wrong on the speed of a whippoorwill, which is a bird. I had to look it up. I wasn't sure. <laughs> and he says that he can always guess right. But he clocked it much slower. It's fascinating. As Bill passively tells Wally to fuck off, we can see the meteor crash down in the background behind him. And they're totally clueless to it. And we get a Sam Raimi cam style pan through the woods until we can see the cocoon thing pop open and the title card pops up. Slither. But we cut to the next day where we can see the camera pan through the town of Wheelie. And if you pay attention to the stores, you'll see one called R.J. McCready's while we're also introduced to Mayor McCready himself, who we can see is a real people person with his constituents. Get the fuck out of the way, cocksucker.
1: Oh, he's so (laughs) likable.
0: Oh my God. He's the best part of this movie. That's not true. This movie's great. All of it's the best part. But even Nathan Fillion in the commentary said, I dare you to name one scene with him in it where he doesn't steal it. Yeah. And he's right. You can't.
1: He also grounds the movie in a really fucked up kind of way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're also introduced to Starla as she's teaching class while the boys are all checking her ass out. And Kylie is in this class as well. And she catches the boys doing this and drawing dirty pictures of her. And after class, we can see Starla talking to a teacher played by James Gunn until grant grant breaks it up and takes his wife with him right and she says that he's a new teacher and he just wants to borrow lesson plans and grant says he knows he wants to borrow and he ain't lending, right (laughs) and james gunn said he cast himself as the teacher while drunk and he regrets that yeah yeah, i could see that (laughs) but technically that was your standard director cameo from back in the day so true we can see that two of Bill's deputies are the crossing guards at the school and Bill's standing there supervising, I guess, or basically stalking and staring at Starla. And the deputies begin to talk about how they don't get the match between Starla and Grant. And Bill explains the hard times that she was going through and she married him to save her from all that. And that if she had had a China she would have done the same. <laughs> What's a China? It's a country where they speak Chinese, <laughs> right? So Deputy Margaret, there are a lot of, Lesbian jokes made at her expense in this movie that are pretty well-timed.
1: And I want to say her last name is Hooper.
0: Oh, there were a lot of names thrown in. And even on the commentary, he says at the very beginning that he's not going to mention any of the Easter eggs because there's so many. And then he mentions all of them as they go. So that's very James Gunn of him as well. But that night we cut to the Grant residence where Grant Grant's watching Animal Planet, which gets referenced a lot in this movie. (laughs) And he's waiting on his wife to come to bed. And when she gets there, he immediately tries to get laid. And she says that she's not in the mood. And you can tell that it's been a while. And he wants to know when she is in the mood. And he's instructed to go work one out himself. Okay. (laughs) Don't shake the bed. (laughs) He's upset by this and gets dressed to go for a walk. We then cut to a bar with an excellent rendition of the crying game on karaoke. (laughs) It's so funny. Straight out of the wedding singer or something when he's depressed. (gasps) And it makes the scene super sad hearing the song in the background. And James Gunn is very much like Zack Snyder where he can pick the perfect song that doesn't fit. Oh, yeah. And it fits. Yep. Right, right. But it's awkward. And I love that. But Brenda approaches Grant, and she starts hitting on him. And we find out that he dated her older sister back in high school and she had a crush on him and he said she must have been nothing but 10 or 11 she said she was still game right so everybody's very stereotypical country in this film you'll find
1: i thought you were just gonna say southern
0: (laughs) we're southern friend i'm not i'm not gonna make that joke at my expense i will We then see them drunk walking through the woods, and she takes him to a tree where she had carved their initials with a heart around them when they were kids, just to prove that she had a crush on him. And they start to flirt, and she jumps on him, kissing him, and tries to undress him. But he stops her and says that Starla worries if he's out too late, and he has to go. So we can see that he actually truly does love his wife at this point, and that's important to remember going through the rest of this film. Yep. As he tries to leave, they find a weird trail of goo in the forest, and instead of running for their lives, they decide (laughs) to follow it. And they find this cocoon thing, which opens up, and this little stinger comes pointing and shaking like a rattlesnake tail and launches itself into Grant's chest. And he falls over, convulsing in pain, and we get a shitty CGI shot of the thing moving through his body and going into his brain. And... Just as a side note from what I gathered here, I don't think James Gunn liked a lot of the CGI work in this movie. There's one scene in particular that he shits on greatly. <laughs> it's also a practical scene that he shits on greatly. So I'll bring them both up when we get there.
1: It really is a mixed bag throughout yeah. this movie.
0: Some of the digital work in this movie is fantastic. And some of it is utter shit. And <laughs> I don't remember it looking like utter shit in 06, but it's definitely dated now.
1: Oh yeah, it is not aging well.
0: <laughs> but another important thing to point out is James Gunn has stated before that this is where Grant dies. He's actually dead for the rest of the movie. He dies right here and he comes back to life with the alien taking over, but part of his brain and memories are still there. Yeah. Taking control, okay? And that's how he gets to keep some of his memories and feelings.
1: Well, and that proves, and I'm jumping way ahead here, but since we're covering this shit right now, it proves even more going on later into the movie how much deep down he... Because re- there's the first time I saw the movie, I thought he was a piece of shit, just wanted to get some, da-da-da-da-da, not a good husband. Right. And then by the end of the movie, you're like... Oh my God, this guy like really, really loves her. And like, that's, that's, that's what he cares about. And even so, after being taken over, that's one of the strongest emotions that still comes through. And I I think, I think a lot of people did like I did on first watch and kind of gloss over that and don't understand the characters.
0: Yeah. And a lot of people are used to seeing Rooker as a bad guy. There's that too. Like he's, he's gotta be an asshole. He's always an asshole. (laughs) And sometimes he's a good guy and he's a good, good guy when he does it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, Grant stands up bleeding from the ears and nose and ignores Brenda and just walks off. We then see him checking the fridge at his house, and he says, Mmm, meat. And he (laughs) looks at the steak and he takes it out. It's really funny every time I hear him say meat. (laughs) We cut to the next morning, and he's making a nest in his basement. And he starts to hear, you're every woman in the world to me playing upstairs. And he goes to check it out. And he finds Starlin in nightgown trying to pose all sexy and apologizing to him for the night before, because I guess she felt bad. And Grant starts to cry. So we can see that the alien actually hasn't killed his thoughts, like Josh was saying earlier. And he actually feels for, or the alien feels for, at least, through Grant's memories. And they get ready to have sex. And she sees the scar in his chest, which he disregards, and they resume. <laughs> we then see Starlet at work talking to a co-worker about how Grant has really changed for the better recently and how she got lucky last night or whatever, right? <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to pull a Josh here. Meanwhile, <laughs> we see Grant at the butcher. Nate, <laughs> Nate, He orders 14 steaks, and then we can see... At his house, that he pulls up, and his entire back of his truck is loaded with meats. So apparently, he hit up every store in the city.
1: Yeah, like he's got a fucking tiger to feed.
0: Yeah, so if you go through the Wheelie meat markets, they look like fucking COVID just hit. <laughs> Back at home that night, we can see that Grant is in pain and he goes outside to eat the neighborhood dog. This doesn't seem to stop the pain. And we can see him as he's going through some sort of change, right? Like he's starting to have parts of his body pulsating and shifting a little bit. And Starla's taking a shower and she might be singing or something, but she, she opted in the shower because they're going to something called the deer cheer that we're going to find out <laughs> about in a minute. And he walks into the room in pain and these tentacle things come out of his chest with these little stingers on them. And he fights him off because they're trying to get in the shower with her, and he yells that he has to go to work, and he leaves. Yep. And that's him caring for her because we're about to see what this fucking Stinger's do in a minute. We then cut to the deer cheer and see Starla's alone, and we can tell that Bill's obviously in love with her by the way he's staring at her. Meanwhile, (laughs) see see how it works until he does that? Grant shows up at Brenda's house and interrupts her from watching the Toxic Avenger with her baby, and she tells him that she thought he was dead the other night. I am dead. Don't I look it? He then finds out that the half-Mexican's not in the house, and he goes in to hook up. And James Gunn said that the person's house that they used, this wasn't a set. They just, like, randomly used somebody's house, and the whole thing smelled like cat piss, and he was, like, holding back vomit the whole time directing the scene. Nice. And he let the rest of the crew stay outside. Oh, damn. And then Nathan Fillion cuts in on the commentary and says, Thanks for letting us use your lovely home. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Those two together are like great, just working off each other, you know? Yeah. Another funny thing I remember seeing on there is James Gunn says they filmed the movie in Canada. And since it was in Canada, they have to use primarily Canadian actors, unless they're a real big star. And obviously, Nathan Fillion only got in because he's Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) Like they rag each other (laughs) back and forth. It's great. But back at the dance, Bill goes to check on Starla. And we find out that he was just recently made chief of police, and you can tell that they both actually have feelings for each other, and it's kind of awkward. And they break the silence to go in and see Mayor McCready give his deer cheer speech. (laughs) McCready says that God stated that men should have dominion over the animals of the land and the sea, and he thinks that he meant deer season and wheelie when he said this. (laughs) Then they do the countdown to the beginning of deer season. So that's what deer Cheer is in case you're wondering.
1: Oh, and he's got like a drink in his hand every time you see him too. And yeah. It's, it's funny as shit. Like any, anybody, like we say every episode, anybody who hasn't seen this movie, please see this movie. Cause it it's, there's something for everyone in this movie yeah. and, and the
0: tone throughout is just great. And even if you have a significant other that doesn't like horror movies, but likes funny movies, just watch it with them. This is one of my wife likes to watch with me, even though she's not a horror fan. And it is on Amazon Prime, and let's face it, everybody has fucking Prime for shipping along. (laughs) Even if you don't want it, you have it. (laughs) Exactly. But the whole deer cheer scene is intercut with Brenda putting the baby to bed and taking off her shirt, followed by Grant taking off his shirt and letting the two tentacle things come out and stab into Brenda. Once the stingers go in, they start to pump some sort of juice into her, while this oddly catchy country song kicks in in the background. As we can see people at the deer cheer party start to dance and it goes back and forth and Brenda starts to convulse and Grant looks like he finished. (laughs) I don't know what else to say, man. I do want to point out,
1: and it becomes a little more obvious later on in the movie. I think this alien is, is some kind of fish, at least in some degree. Okay. Because I think we've got eggs coming through one tentacle and I think we got sperm coming through the other tentacle. Remember that when we get towards the end of the movie
0: interesting apparently i haven't watched enough animal planet so i didn't fucking know that (laughs) that's why that was in there man they wanted people to think about animals i gotcha i gotcha it's great that is important to remember for the end here which is a ways away this is (laughs) jesse's movie there's a lot of notes in here
1: yeah my shit's buffering there's so many pages yeah
0: (sighs) (laughs) but starla leaves the deer cheer And goes home and finds that all the lights are out and she can't get them to turn on. And she starts calling to grant who's not answering until he finally pops up with his head all swollen and covered in bumps. And she freaks the fuck out and he says that it's just a bee sting (laughs) and he had a little reaction. And he tells her that he already saw the doc and he's on a prescription now and everything will be okay. So the next day we see Starla finishing her day at work at the school and she's calling the doc, which is Rob Zombie on the phone, by the way. Yes. and. He doesn't know what she's talking about because he hasn't seen her husband in a year, right? So she knows he was lying. And she heads home, and while she's at a stoplight, she starts seeing all these signs and posters for all these missing pets in the neighborhood, right? She thinks it's kind of odd. Speaking of odd, we can see Grant (laughs) gathering rotten meat from this nest he made in his basement full of leaves and taking it to an old barn in the woods now that it's nighttime. And Brenda's chained up in there. And she says that she's so damn hungry that she might just die. And he dumps the rotten meat down on the ground and she just starts to devour it. Right. That's pretty fucking gross. Yep. But we see Bill pull up. At the Grant residence to see if Starla has seen Grant, and she wants to know what's going on, and Billy and Wally let her know that this girl named Brenda went missing, and the neighbors saw him go into her house the night before she was gone, right? And Starla says there's no way that he's involved, and they leave. However, she knows that something's up in the back of her head, and she breaks into the newly locked basement that I forgot to mention earlier. There's a (laughs) lock on it that she noticed earlier in the movie, and... (laughs) <laughs> Once she gets the lock off, she can tell that it smells like shit down there and that there are flies fucking everywhere. And she goes down into the basement and can find half-eaten animals everywhere. And James Gunn said that he's been around a lot of gore scenes in movies and normally doesn't phase him, but the dog corpse made him sick to his stomach. Really? But if you look at his Instagram or Twitter, he always has fucking dogs with him in his picture. So I think he's a big dog uh, guy. Ah, okay, okay. Probably like me, I can't watch shit with kids getting anything bad happening to them anymore. Yeah. But she runs back upstairs to call Bill to come back because he just left. And she has to leave a message with what she's found. She's pacing back and forth past this window in the house. And you just keep waiting on something to appear. And it does. And it's Grant standing there. And he's extra swollen now. And he's staring at her. And as soon as she starts to rat him out in the voicemail, he starts to growl. Right? And you can really see how monstrous he is. And she's freaked out at this point. And she tries to get away, but he gets in the house and he stops her. And he says that he wanted to take care of her and not have to do this to her, but he doesn't trust her anymore. And he sprouts the two dick stingers out of his chest again and tries to get them in her stomach, but she smacks them with something that was laying around in the house and gets them off of her, right? He tries to choke her to death as Bill and crew run in guns drawn and watch Grant stand up and take off with his long squid arm, which knocks this lamp over on the way out. What the fuck was that? And on a side note, Michael actually dislocated his shoulder doing the scene. Cause like the rig was like attached up there and he didn't tell them till they were done for the day. Oh, damn. He stuffed it out supposedly. But Bill and Wally try to make chase after Grant, but he's fucking gone. They can't find him. We then cut to three days later and the mayor's pissed off going off on Bill. And he says, no one wants to go hunting in a town with a pet killing kidnapper. Right. <laughs> and there are a lot of jokes in the scene about him looking like a squid, including that Bill could go check SeaWorld and they have a toy squid (laughs) to use as a sketch. I can't go through all of them, but it's fucking great. (laughs) A few things to note in the scene. If you pay attention, Lloyd Kaufman's the drunk guy sitting at the cop's desk in the background, right? James Gunn threw him in there. And Jenna Fisher of the office fame, is playing Shelby, the dispatcher. And her and James Gunn were actually married at this point in time. And she wasn't famous for The Office yet, but she was by the time the movie came out. And the part was written for someone else, a guy actually, who backed out last minute. And he just asked his wife if she could jump in and do it. And he kind of reworked it a little bit. And supposedly, since she was famous from The Office by the time the movie came out, the day before it came out, he sent her to go do The Letterman Show for the movie even though she's like got a tiny part in it right (laughs) that sounds like the kind of shit he would pull (laughs) and she's very entertaining and like easy to listen to so yeah anyways by the end of the conversation the mayor has most likely been watching the current season of american horror story because he blames (laughs) the swollen head and bendy arm on lyme disease you touch some deer feces and then you eat a sandwich without washing your hands You got your Lyme disease. And that makes you look like a squid. (laughs) While they're making fun of the mayor, they get a call about another animal attack that Grant has committed. And they head to the scene and they explain to the mayor that he keeps taking animals from people's farms, right? And when they get there, they find several dead animals and they don't understand how one man could kill all these animals at once. And Bill figures out there's a pattern down the tree line or where he's attacking. And he must be coming out of this giant forest that I guess all the deer live in that they hunt with the Lyme disease. (laughs) And um, he thinks he knows where they're going to strike next. And it's going to be at the Struttmeyer farm, right? The cops gather a local militia and they all gear up and they head out with some heavy firepower. But they leave the confiscated grenade behind. Foreshadowing. Yeah, it is. Bill and crew head out to go take out the Ruskies and Starla shows up to try and tag along, but Bill refuses until Starla points out that she's the best chance of them getting Grant out alive to be able to find out where the missing girl is, right? They got a plan. Exactly. We cut to the Strutmeyer residence and Kylie's being ridiculed by her parents and younger sisters at the breakfast table and she is saved by Bill and crew showing up. And then we quickly cut to that night and everyone's spread out on a stakeout. On the property, right? Like the militia and the cops, and they all seem really fucking bored. And the mayor's surprise discover that Deputy Margaret packs a box lunch, right? <laughs> because he's talking about hooking up with chicks and he asks about Deputy Margaret, and it's great. Like the jokes are just hilarious. And I keep bringing them up because it's going to come into something the mayor says later in the movie. And it's fucking hilarious. Yes. But we also find out that when Starlet was 12, she wanted to run away and be a movie star. And Bill was 14 at the time, and she asked him to come be her bodyguard. And he told her that she could take care of herself and let her go on her own. But she never made it past the bus stop because Bill called her father to go stop her. So he was a cop since he was a child, basically, right? <laughs> That or a rat. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Snitches get stitches. Unless they're Nathan Fillion, then they're allowed to live. All of the conversations abruptly halt when Grant comes walking out of the woods, and he's even more deformed than before, and basically looks like something out of Akira, or (laughs) something that fell off a deputy attorney's dick during the war. (laughs) Second favorite line in the entire fucking movie. (laughs) It's pretty good. And the walking Grant is actually entirely practical, and they had puppeteers helping move the body that Rooker was in, right? And then they digitally removed the puppeteers. Nice. They wanted to go as practical as they could. But Grant quickly slashes a cow down with one of his tentacles and he starts to drag it off in the woods and Starla runs out and tries to talk him down. Grant does not seem to care about their sacred bond that she's talking about, and he turns to leave as one of the militia guys runs up behind him and tries to make him stop, and Grant doesn't seem to care about him either and does a- another quick flick of the tentacle, cutting the guy entirely in half, and all of his guts and shit come out after he slowly realizes he's been cut in half.
1: Now, that still looks awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. They did a good job of that one. The crew then opens fire on him, and he quickly slithers away in the woods, and that's some of the not-so-great CGI in the movie, when he's <laughs> slithering away there. Yes. And they make chase in the woods, and every time they think they've lost Grant, someone catches a glimpse of him in the corner of their eye, and they keep heading the direction he's going until they find a barn with a really awful smell. And they enter the barn and find a very, very swollen Brenda inside. Something's wrong with me. Uh,
1: Yeah. Yeah, you look like a human-sized tick.
0: Speaking of (laughs) lung disease. (laughs) But Bill tries to talk to her, and she just keeps jiggling. And he just wants to know what's going on here exactly. And she just explains how hungry she is, right? And Bill wants to get her to the hospital. And Wally wants to know what they're going to do with her at the fucking hospital. (laughs) Yes. She then starts to jiggle more and says that these little bastards are tearing her apart until she literally rips in half and a metric shit ton of alien slugs burst out. And they start to crawl all over everyone and Bill realizes that they're going into people's mouths and taking them out and he yells to Starla to cover her mouth and he gets on top of her, right? They appear to go after the low-hanging fruit that aren't covering their mouths <laughs> and leave them be and just swarm out of the barn. And we also see that the mayor survived when tried to crawl in his mouth and he stopped it. He wants to know what kind of thing tries to make you eat it right <laughs> and a lot of things i want to point out here one this is the scene where james gunn fucking hates the cgi and wishes it wasn't in there is the giant pile of slugs crawling over all of them they look better
1: than the fucking grant monster slither away. i mean they're not great but still
0: <laughs> and i want to talk about the brenda rig for a second okay it was a giant round latex covered rig with robotic and puppeteering stuff on the inside right and she laid down on it with her head sticking out of a hole okay? okay when he wrote the scene and the special effects department working with him all the concept art which i saw they just kept making different versions of like a hag woman with a giant gut right and he kept saying rounder rounder james <laughs> gun did and eventually they made her kind of big and round looking but realistic he's like no, no no i want her perfectly round no wrinkles like that's what he wanted her to look like right like she was fucking from Wooly Wonka and she ate the wrong candy and she was about to pop. <laughs> and they did that for her. And there's a guy in there, and if you notice, she's got little fingers and hands on the side. So they got controls to make the fingers move like she's swatting for food. They can make her jiggle from the inside. Yeah, And she had to lay on that uncomfortable, tight-ass little spot right there. And it turns out, like I said earlier, she's claustrophobic and she doesn't like meat. <laughs> and that's really funny. And she'd never done prosthetics before or any, any type of work like that. And she got the job. James Gunn on uh, one of the the behind-the-scenes features is sitting there like basically on his knees. He keeps kissing her on the forehead and talking to her while she's stuck in the fat suit. And he's like, let's tell the story about how much of the script he read before he applied for this job. She only read the bar scene. (laughs) And that was her scene that she auditioned with, right? She got the job. Still hadn't read the rest of the script. Then she gets a phone call about flying to L.A. to get fitted for her prosthetics. And she's like, what? So she gets to the plane and she reads the script finally on the plane. And then just starts crying the rest of the way there. Right. And they get there and it took hours to get her ready. And then she had to do all this. And he's like, but I worship her for this. And he's like, thank you so much. And she's like, yeah, it's a lot of fucking fun. <laughs> and she said she learned something and she will always read her character's entire part in a script from now on. And she hasn't worked with guns since. Probably not. <laughs> I'm actually going to look. I'll let you know in the next one. But at this point, the shit really starts to hit the fan and go all night to the creeps, right? Yay! We can see that the slugs are crawling onto the Strutmeyer property, and Kylie's taking a bath with her earbuds in, right? Her mom tells her twin sisters to put down their Goosebumps books and go to sleep. Yes! And back in the bathroom, we can see one of the slugs coming through a window, and it gets in the tub with Kylie. And she doesn't realize it's there until it pops up Freddy Krueger-style out of the water, which they were using as a reference point for that show. Oh, yeah. And she manages to get out of the tub, but it still sneaks around and gets in her mouth. And she bites down on it hard and tries to pull it out, but it it makes like a psychic link with her, right? And her eyes start to roll back in her head. And she can see it taking over other planets and killing alien animals. She can see what happened to Grant in the woods. And we now know that the alien slug that harpooned Grant and lives in Grant now has a psychic link with everything that it's created, right? Right. And she manages to get it out of her mouth and throw it across the room, and she finishes it off with the hot curling iron in the room, which makes it ooze, and it's really nasty looking in an awesome way. And she runs to the house to check on her family and finds her mom coughing up blood and hears her sister screaming for help. She breaks down the door as the slugs are coming up the stairs to get in there to save her sisters, only to find them convulsing on the ground. And it's really messed up seeing the kids dying here. And originally, you were going to see them get attacked by the slugs. Okay. And the studio's like, we don't really like to have kids die here, right? Like, <laughs> we don't know if you should do this. And he decided to cut it on his own because he doesn't really care about, like, gore and stuff. But he thinks the worms crawling in your mouth is a very sexual-looking thing. And okay. he didn't want to do that to a kid. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I could see that.
0: And I saw him asked on a Q&A why there wasn't any, like, gratuitous nudity from Kylie in the room. And he wanted to point out that she has great breasts right (laughs) but it added absolutely nothing to the film to have her run around naked there yeah he wasn't he just wasn't gonna do that right like it's not what it was there for and it didn't add anything to the film
1: and it's also you gotta as a viewer you gotta take it seriously with her standing there freaking out biting into one of the slugs while it's trying to get into her mouth right if you go to a wide shot of her topless doing that the whole thing turns into a trauma film
0: exactly and he he's moved past that at this point right (laughs) And the slugs are actually they're made out of some sort of latex that was actually invented for the sex industry. Oh, nice. Right, but it's something that they could use that's really pliable. And there's shots on the behind the scenes where like they're showing her trying to throw the one on the wall, and it's an actual one. It's supposed to stick and flip down like there's toys you'd to get out of the the, the wacky world. Yeah, yeah, and it won't, it fucking won't fall, and it just sits there. <laughs> and then you show that you see the scene with the the sisters' room, and the special effects guy and Kylie are just throwing them on the ceiling because there's real ones and there's CGI ones. Yeah, and they just start fucking falling off on them. It's fucking hilarious. But no, they made different ones for the whole choking scene because part of it was CGI and part of it was a puppeted. And she said they shot that scene all day. And she had to sit there with a towel taped around her and people puppeteering a a worm hanging out of her mouth while she's trying to act like she's having a vision and it fucked up. And the last thing a note with this whole Struttmeyer house thing is the jacket she puts on when she comes running out of the bathroom zipped up. They only had three of them and the mom could not cough the blood upright. She fucked up the shot the first time. She fucked up the shot the second time. And then James like, look, we only got one more of these jackets. You really got to fucking cough hard (laughs) to get it to come out right. And she nailed it on the third time, luckily, or they were going to have to stop and go get her fucking new clothes.
1: Oh, damn. And she was going to have to buy everyone dinner that night.
0: Maybe, maybe. (laughs) Anyways, Kylie makes it out of the window in her sister's room and she jumps down only to find her father dying too and runs to hide in the truck from the slugs. But back at the barn, we discover that everyone who got slugged is still alive, they think, because they can feel their pulse. And Bill leaves Starla and Deputy Margaret and the mayor to watch over the bodies while he runs to get to a phone to call the paramedics. On his way out, he sees a deer getting attacked by the slugs, and it's kind of fucked up, right? He runs off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The other three start to pull the bodies out of the barn, and McCready goes on a crazy rant about how the government's doing biological testing on Wheelie because he won't take their shit at the council meetings, <laughs> and he's suing him if he turns into a fucking mollusk, and he lets <laughs> Deputy Margaret know that she can sue with him because he doesn't give a fuck that she's a lesbo. <laughs> all of his rants are great, and it makes all the lesbian jokes funny just to hear him say, you can sue him women. come on, I don't give a shit. Dude, fucking mollusk breaks me every time yeah yeah. (laughs) he steals every scene man outside starla is startled by wally who's gotten up and snuck behind her and she's even more surprised when he starts talking like grant we can tell that there's still a bit of grant in there with the slug and he's really sorry for upsetting starla they're interrupted by deputy margaret and mccready pulling out another body and then they all get up like zombies and they go for margaret and all start talking like Grant Grant as Starla cocks a gun and aims it at him. Deputy Morgan tries to get her gun out as one of the zombies spits some slime out on her that melts her skin and instantly kills her. It's pretty fucking gnarly looking. Yeah. And that was practical, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. They really burnt her face and uh, she had to go through a lot of. Uh, no. Oh. Yeah. That's oh. not what I meant. Nope, nope. Oh. They use prosthetics. Oh. Aw. <laughs> I thought this movie was
0: cooler than that. <laughs> this isn't a snuff film. We don't do that here. <laughs> But anyways, the Wally zombie starts to talk shit and he says that she doesn't have the balls to shoot, but he's interrupted by her blowing his fucking head off and you can see the slug wiggle out and fall. It's kind of neat. And then Starlin McCready make a run for it, right? Yep. Back at the farm, we can see the zombie Strutmeyer family coming for Kylie in the truck and the twins are really fucking creepy here. And Bill runs up and Kylie's able to get out of the truck and run to him. And when he asks what's going on here, the Strutmeyer say that they're really itchy from the poison ivy they have. (laughs) <laughs> bill knows they're full of shit and he makes a run for it with kylie and they make it to a squad car and bill's trying to get a hold of his friends on the phone or the radio or something and then he sees McCready and Starla running from the rest of the zombies across the road and he saves McCready by hitting one of his deputies with the car and then Starla goes in for the kill with some rebar and impales the fuck out of him while making a battle cry yes Bitches, is hardcore. The two of them make it into the car and Bill drives away and everyone's pretty much speechless in the car until Bill calls into Shelby and she says that she has not seen any slugs, just some skeeters. <laughs> and Shelby lets him know that his mama called and said he needs to come fix the toilet. it is stopped up from what he done did in it. <laughs> and he just tells Shelby to call the CDC and gets off the radio. He then tries to cover his ass to Starla about roots growing in the pipes while the mayor gets really fucking upset because he doesn't have any fucking goddamn Mr. Piv in the cooler and he specifically told the secretary to put it in there. Kylie interrupts his rant to explain the psychic link that she's had with the slug and Grant and tells them everything she knows, right? Bill calls back into Shelby to see if she got a hold of the CDC, but we know at this point that she was attacked by the slugs that came in. They already got her. And she calls him Killer. That way we know it's Grant because that's already happened a couple times in the movie at this point. And she lets him know that she has a surprise coming for him right around the corner, and then they're all rammed by a truck right in the car. I heard of zombies come up to the car and drag out an unconscious Starla, and Bill goes out for her and helps Kylie out before they can get to her, but he can't save the mayor, who's also dragged off unconscious. And Bill and Kylie barely get away. Bill comes up with this plan as the zombies start to drag Starla and McCready away, That he wants to go into the station and get the grenade, because if Grant is the psychic link to everything and controlling it, if I blow him up with a grenade, I should kill him, all right? And she's like, yeah, it should work. Yeah. He's the head vampire. Exactly. Bill runs into the station to get the grenade, and he escapes without incident. Wait, no. Oh, yeah. How could I forget? He gets into a fight with a zombified fucking deer. Yes, I just said that. It's a Muppet deer, and this is the practical effects scene that James Gunn fucking hates in the movie. Because uh, he thinks it looks like a Muppet. I thought it was fucking hilarious to watch him get his ass kicked. Yes. Because the deer's boxing with him, basically. It's fucking yes. great.
1: It's in my in my head, in the movie cinematic universe, it's the same one that's laughing at fucking Ash in fucking Evil Dead 2. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know
0: what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and it's great because they set it up earlier. We saw it get attacked in the woods. Yes. But he's about to die to this deer until Kylie comes in and saves him, and they get the grenade and start to head out, and he lets her know that when they tell that story later, it's going to be that he saved her from the deer, and she doesn't give a shit. No. She has seen some shit. Exactly. (laughs) At this point, I'm going to go ahead and call it the third act, and we can see a bunch of zombies putting Starla gently in bed and changing her into the nighty from the other night, and she wakes up and she can hear a horde of zombies calling for Elector Grant, Right. We then got to McCready in this dark basement, and he can hear a lot of people eating meat. (laughs) He turns on his lighter, only to figure out that he's in the pregnancy room, because Kylie told them that, like, some he eats, some he makes wounds, right? Yep. And he can see that everyone inside there has a big, fat belly, and they're eating other dead bodies. He tries to make a run for it, and as he gets to the top of the stairs, Grant is up there as this giant fucking alien thing, and hits him with the two stingers and starts to pump the goo into him, right? Or the eggs and the semen as Josh put it, with (laughs) his animal planet (laughs) compound A and compound B. (laughs) We then see Grant do this quick flick with the uh, tentacle stinger thing to cut the stereo on to the love song from earlier. And we get a montage cutting between everyone. Bill and Kylie are sneaking up to the house. McCready is hungry and starts to eat a body in the room. (laughs) And Starla sneaks down the stairs with a sharp brush concealed where grant can't see it right yep and she can see that he's plastered the entire house with photos of her and she sees grant and he really looks like something from akira at this point point. and the use of your every woman in the world to me is fucking great because it makes all of these scenes fucked up especially macready eating the body to the song yeah Once the montage is over, we can see Bill and Kylie make it on the property, and they see where the bodies are starting to merge with Grant, and they can see Starla approaching Grant through the window, and they decide to sneak around. (laughs) We'll try the back door. (laughs) Inside, Starla tries to appeal to the human nature of Grant to save her life, and it seems to be working. She then takes the brush out and stabs him, causing all of the heads to scream that are attached to him, one of them being Sean Gunn, and then she is swatted away into a wall and starts to get thrown around the room. Bill and Kylie shoot their way through a herd of zombies to get inside, only to be greeted by Mollusk McCready, who starts to (laughs) compassionately beg for Bill to kill him, and he can't get the sentence out before Bill just fucking blasts him in the face, because he's okay with this. He doesn't like the mayor. Bill makes it into the room, and he pulls the pin on the grenade and starts to say something cocky, only to have it swatted out of his hand by one of Grant's tentacles. He then digs around the room and finds it and gets ready to throw it again, and he's swatted outside where he drops the grenade, and it rolls into the pool, and we get a glorious little water <laughs> bubble explosion as he looks at it like, what the fuck? And these are all very Captain Mal from Firefly Moments. They right? are. <laughs> He tries to stand up, and he's stuck with one of Grant's harpoon stinger things, but he grabs the other one before it can go in, and Grant starts to pump the goo into him, and we can see that Grant's really into it. <laughs> Bill jabs the second stinker into a nearby propane tank, which starts to backfeed the propane back into Grant, and Akira Grant figures out what's going on and starts to pull his tentacles back, but they're stuck in the tank and Bill and just start to drag them along with him, right? <laughs> and bill yells for starla to shoot him which she does and then he explodes in a giant fireball from all of the propane and this severs the psychic link with all the zombies outside and they all fall over dead tetsuo (laughs) we can see that kylie starla and bill are all still alive and kylie lets him know that you have to get the juice from both the stingers to get all woomy which he thinks is awesome (laughs) They step outside into the now well-lit day And look at all the carnage on the way out With dead bodies everywhere And Starla asks Bill if he regrets not running away with her And he says he always did that And then he mentions there's a town nearby with a hospital With a really cool green steeple And he really wants to go there right now (laughs) And he then tells Kylie to tell Starla the story Of how he saved her from a deer And she sarcastically says Bill saved me from a deer (laughs) And Starla's like, that's great and they walk down the road, and the credits roll to an odd Leave Me the Fuck Alone song, which is great. Like I said, James Gunn movies always have awesomely play songs. The end, credits roll. Until we get to the post-credits scene of this film that I do not recall seeing before doing research this podcast. Maybe I did back in the day, but I don't know. I just don't remember watching it. But we see Grant's brain sitting on the ground, and it's still twitching. As a cat comes in and starts licking it, then we can see the original little stinger thing pop up out of the brain that was in the cocoon at the beginning of the movie, and it fades to black, and we can hear it stick into the cat and kill it. The end.
1: I don't remember the post credits from back in the day, but I know it from the wife having it on DVD because she fucking loves James Gunn. She buys everything he does.
0: I wait till after the credits of every film I see now. Yep. Now, if I'm in the theaters and I see a lot of people getting up, I will Google it to see if there's a post credit scene. <laughs> like, I did that with Candyman. There's not one. But the credits are awesome in Candyman. So watch the credits until it gets to the just black, black. background with text because it's, there's this really neat use of animation they do in that film. Okay, okay. Anyways, back to this movie. I fucking love this movie. Like Josh said earlier, it's got something going on in it for everyone. It's a great ensemble cast. The comedy's spot on. It's got some gory horror in it. It's got cool monster movie shit in it. You don't yep. get monster movies a whole lot, and it's nice to see it. And it really does feel like that eighties style movie. Oh yeah. Done in a modern way. Yep. And I don't have any flaws with this movie that I can point out besides some of the CGI's dated and looks bad.
1: I have one big flaw. And okay. It, and it's in the editing. There's like five fade to black shots in this fucking movie. Okay. And they do bother me. But other than that and the CGI, which we covered, you're right. I like the rest of it. And it it, it there's something in there for everybody for drama to gore hound to comedy to right. action, like sci-fi uh, throwback. It, it, it's all
0: in there. It's a little rough around the edges, but it's, it's just fucking fun. Right. It's a good little story. And for being the first film that he directed fully on his own, obviously, he stepped in on some trauma shit. He knocked it out the park. Oh, yeah. And there were a lot of movies in between now and the 10 years we're about to jump to. But the next movie that we really wanted to cover that we didn't want to save for another episode is 2016's The Belko Experiment.
1: So this one was directed by Greg McLean, who uh, most notably did Wolf Creek. And that's what Gunn saw that made him say, "Okay, I'm going to let him do this. And I'll get into why Gunn didn't direct this one after we get through everybody in this movie.
0: Because he originally was, right? Yes,
1: that was the original plan. So, of course, written by James Gunn. Yeah. Uh, all right so getting into the cast we've got john gallagher jr as mm-hmm. mike who was the man in hush that he was in fucking 10 cloverfield lane we've talked about him before yep we've got tony goldwyn as barry who i didn't realize was apparently in friday the 13th part six i'm gonna nope. have to go back and look i don't even remember friday the 13th he's the ghost guy six. exactly he's the guy who gets dragged to hell by the shadow demons and ghosts. i will always remember that We've got Adria Arona as Leandra, and she really hasn't been in much. Like, really? I, yeah, I looked, and she's got like a handful of credits and like nothing genre to point out.
0: She was badass in this.
1: John C. fucking McGinley as <laughs> Wendell, <laughs> Dr. Cox and Scrubs. <laughs> fucking, I don't remember in Office Space, but he's in it.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and more recently in Stand Against Evil, which have you watched that show?
0: I've seen bits and pieces of it. I, I think I'd really like it if I sit down and watched it. Yes,
1: it was funny as shit. We've got Melanie Diaz as Danny, hmm. and she was in Be Kind Rewind and more recently The New Charmed.
0: Oh, is she in The New Charmed?
1: Yep. Playing a more active role in this movie is Sean Gunn as Marty. Of course, we can go all the way back to Romeo and Juliet, Angel, Gilmore Girls, Guardians of the Galaxy, The Avengers, Suicide Squad, even though he's mostly just on set so people know where to look to know where the fuck Rocket is.
0: Um, <laughs> no, he's one of the he's one of the Ravagers. He's actually yes. a character on his own in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies with some good lines. This is But true. he was also Rocket in a mocap suit walking on his knees the whole time. Yep. You are correct. And once again, MFX,
1: as mentioned before a lot of digging on this movie the special edition doesn't even have a commentary so i had to read and i read a lot and i kept reading the same five or six things over and over again so Here come those five or six things. (laughs) (laughs) So James Gunn said that the trailer for the movie came to him in a dream. Okay. And he said, you know, Sean Cunningham said that happened to him. And like, I got to actually see where this goes. Of course, my mind just went straight to Wes Craven, like fucking his dream studies in school and shit. And he went so hardcore into trying to flesh the whole thing out that he just sat down and wrote for two weeks to the point of actually injuring his back. So there we go. 92 page script done. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, the movie was originally going to be made closer to 07, but this was around the time of Gunn's divorce. Okay. And he was like, you know, doing a movie about all this death and, like, psychology and everything. Like, I, I, don't, I don't really want to do that right now. <laughs> yeah,
0: that, that's what I had read, but I read it without context. I had read that he had decided that he didn't want to direct a movie that was just that violent nonstop yeah. for too long, right?
1: <laughs> was not in the right headspace. So what ends up happening is Gardens of the Galaxy blows up and Gunn can basically do whatever he wants right now. Yeah. And somebody brings up the Belco script again. And uh he's like, Yeah, I'll do it once again because of between Post stuff on Guardians of the Galaxy and going into Guardians of the Galaxy 2, he didn't have time to direct it when it okay. came time to make the movie. So he said, I want full control as a producer. They're like, whatever, fine. And if you watch what little bit of behind the scenes is out there, motherfucker was obviously on set
0: a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's what I got with Troman and Juliet, too. So. Yeah.
1: So that ended up being good. So uh, Orion Pictures. Gunn refers to the Boko experiment as being the return of Orion pictures as far as their genre flicks. Okay. Because they used to do all kinds of shit back in the day. Like I remember I saw this in theaters and when the old fucking Orion logo came up and it was like watching fucking VHS shit record on HBO and shit. The movie that takes place in Bogota, Colombia, and it was shot in Bogota, Colombia. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of cool that they did that. Gunn and McLean both say that they shot an alternate ending. Okay, Can't find it. Can't even find an article about what may have happened in huh. it. Now, Gunn in one interview referred to it as a more extended ending as okay. well. So who knows? And in another interview, he actually said that he has a three-part series in his head for this movie.
0: I could see that because it's left where you could go straight into a sequel at the end.
1: Yes. So we'll see where that goes, but nothing so far. And what kind of sucks is the... Uh, I'm just going to put this in the beginning because I don't have shit else in the actual synopsis. Um, it was shot for around $5 million. Made 11 million and pretty shit on on a lot of reviews like uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score means shit to me because usually I disagree with them. Okay, um, but they give it like a 54. And if when I go poking around, a lot of people are just like, oh, this is just some torture porn horror shit.
0: It's, It's not for everybody. It's definitely a lot deeper than a torture porn movie. And I regret not putting the numbers down for Slither. But Slither was a box office bomb that quickly became a cult favorite after it was in theaters, unfortunately.
1: Yep. And I think the same thing will end up happening with this movie because this is another movie that's just a study in fucking psychology. Right. So we open with the aforementioned old ass Orion logo. Yes. Which is just was so cool to see on the big screen for the first time in my life. Yeah. We start seeing a few people headed to work in what is clearly South America. We see who we're going to learn is Mike getting scammed by a local with this little corncob dude that he made. Like surely he's not going to buy that thing. He buys the thing. <laughs> Um, we see Barry asking where the usual security guy is as the new security guy is inspecting his car for bombs or something. Cause he's walking around it and putting a mirror under it, checking the trunk. Like, yeah, you're starting to see that this isn't a normal day and, uh, <laughs> a Spanish cover of I will survive cranks up Yeah, <laughs> and we get our first look inside the shitty CGI office building. I give them no breaks on this. That building does not look that great, especially when we get to the shutters, but It's a CGI building.
0: (laughs) Wow, I didn't catch that it was CGI. Either I'm blind or you're too critical, sir.
1: (laughs) Or I'm completely wrong and I am totally fine with someone correcting me because I can't cite any of the shit I'm about to expound. But this office building is in a vacant lot with a small hangar next to it. How odd. (laughs) Foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. We then see some workers inside. We see Marty smoking a joint in the bathroom. We see other employees making their way to their desks. We see an ant farm and uh we see a cabin in the woods style security monitors
0: again how odd foreshadowing hold on is marty the stoner's name in cabin of the woods
1: i'm 99
0: sure it is that has to be intentional (laughs) absolutely has to
1: we then see danny at orientation And we learn uh, during her little orientation talk that she's got a tracker implanted in the back of her head, like all the American employees, due to the high amount of human trafficking that goes on here in Bogota. Again, odd. What the fuck do they do here? Belco is a nonprofit organization that facilitates American companies in South America in the hiring of American workers. So next we see Dr. Cox perving on Leandra. Don't worry, that's the only time I'm going to call him Dr. Cox. Couldn't resist it. (laughs) Wendell as Mike comes into Lee Andrews office he gives her his recently acquired good luck corncob dude yep and we also learn that they've recently started seeing each other and we kind of move around the office a little bit and we meet some more characters we've got Barry the boss he's the CEO we've got Roberto who unfortunately really is a token character I hate to say that but He really is. Um, we've got Leota who's gotta be, who's going to become Danny's work friend, right? I mean, she's in the cubicle next to her. She's introducing (laughs) her to people. She's going to be around a long time. Um, (laughs) we've got Keith who's the nerdy it guy and he's the God of the ants. Mm -hmm. And he's in, what, Silicon Valley? I forget the guy's name.
0: I I think it's Silicon Valley. I was like, oh, my God, what's he in? And I immediately thought of the wrong guy. And the guy I was thinking of pops up here in a second, work on the Rooker.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's 56 people in this movie. So I'm going to miss some people. And I'm sure you're going to point some out as we go. Um, We also are introduced to Terry, who has young kids. And who, more importantly, lets Mike know that the new security guys turned away all the locals at the gate. Mm -hmm. Again, odd. (laughs) So let's remember the ant farm, the security, the hangar, and uh, Terry has
0: kids. Oh, I just got the significance of the ant farm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, Mike's
1: already like, he's the smart one. (laughs)
0: <laughs> he's smart but he's
1: paranoid
0: but yes. his paranoia is what saves his ass
1: exactly he's already like this is fucked up and he calls down to evan the security guard and he asks what's up with the new security the hangar and the locals being sent home just as an announcement comes over the paging system
0: all employees no matter what oh, you're doing right? on. please stop and lend me your full attention there are currently 80 of you in the building in eight hours most of you will be dead your chance of survival increases by following my orders and excelling at the tasks I
1: place before you. Your first task is simply this murder any two of your fellow employees within the next half hour. So, is this the fucking purge? In a uh, confined space. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, no. This is the experiment to make sure the purge would work.
0: Ah. <laughs>
1: so uh (laughs) while the announcement's going on we see that no one is sitting at the mic inside the building where the paging system is usually talked on so immediately people grab the phones phone lines are of course down yep and uh mike starts to calmly evacuate the people on his floor during the stairs he's like we better not use the elevator we should take the stairs it's safer like like you said it's smart but paranoid (laughs) and uh We get a couple of shots of Barry where you could just see his gears are turning. Like he's kind of just taking everything in, not really reacting yet, but he's really thinking. So we then see the building go into full on Dark Castle lockdown. Speaking of 13 ghosts. (laughs) And uh, everyone gathers in the lobby and Mike sends Bud, which is Michael fucking Rooker, to get a blowtorch to try to cut an exit hole. With Polka Dot Man. Yes. Once everybody's there, Barry makes an announcement and uh, he's stating that, uh, look, we're in a government building. Everything will be fine. And we then cut to Bud and Lonnie discovering the shutters are made out of unobtainium, and we then see <laughs> Keith and crew head to the roof. And and Bud does have this this guy with him, Lonnie. And I'm gonna. I got a whole section here where I want to talk about the two of them and, like, this whole backstory I've built in my head. Okay, okay. What I think's going on with them. So we've got, like I said, and I was laughing through it, so sorry, but we've got Keith and crew heading up onto the roof. So Mike immediately goes straight to Barry, and he's trying to get him to understand, like, there's some real fuckery afoot. Like, all the shit that's going on all in the same day just doesn't make sense. But Barry's not having any of
0: it. He's not really a dick about it, though. He kind of rationalized it. He's like, you know, you ever see those people that are overthinking (laughs) something you think maybe you might be one of them let's just let's just let out because i really don't think barry is a bad guy no he does some bad shit by the end but he he is a conflicted character in this movie and he's great at it and we'll just we'll just get there later yes
1: (sighs) meanwhile (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> the
1: roof crew once they're up there they try to flag down the security guy at the gate who totally ignores them and then marty tries to calm everyone down because he's of course up there smoking a joint <laughs> with the the big dude that's around with him all the time and i'm meant to look him up he's from something from our unit, oh my and I god don't remember he was what in a, it is.
0: so much shit he was i know he was on er a lot but he was also maybe it was parker lewis can't lose and all sorts of that yeah shit. something
1: yeah. way back then yeah So he goes on a little spiel, um, trying to calm the group down.
0: Did you even happen to read what you signed when you started working for this place? We gave these fuckers the right to do practically whatever the fuck they wanted to do to us. Oh, kill us. No, dude, it's a psychological fucking test, man. They want to see how we'll react to this bullshit. Look at me, look how fucking chill I am. They lose, man, I fucking win. So just relax. And take the day off, man. Consider it a present from corporate fucking America. Ah!
1: Ah! Holy shit, that lady's head just exploded.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it's literally that fast. Out of fucking nowhere.
1: (laughs) And the blood splatters all over Marty, who you got to remember is fucking... Sean Gunn and like yeah his facial expressions and shit are just always great so we cut down to the lobby and there's heads popping down there too <laughs> and when I say heads popping for anyone who hasn't seen this it's all blowing out the back of their heads
0: like you think they're being shot at first exactly
1: even okay so I've learned to watch movies with subtitles when I'm taking my notes it helps me understand things better and it helps me spell people's names way better <laughs> and probably just helps you spell in general that's <laughs> true um, except for Hanger and we'll get to that joke oh um, <laughs> <laughs> but in the uh, in, in the The closed caption It even says Gunshots Every time there's an explosion Okay Okay yep. That's cool <laughs> So the group in the lobby Of course panics And they all take off running Thinking it's gunshots And Barry's kind of Looking around like Hmm <laughs> Back to those gears turning And he examines a body With Mike he says The damage appears to be From the inside out It's not a bullet wound Mike's like It's the trackers <laughs> <laughs> And he grabs a knife and goes run into the closest bathroom <laughs> and he grabs the back of his head and he's got this carpet knife and he's looking in the mirror and you can see him like doing the countdown on his head where he's like, if I hesitate, I won't do it. And just rah, goes to town, start yep. cutting the back of his head. Yep. And then you hear the, psh, and the fucking PA comes back on and it's like, Mike Milch, put down the knife <laughs> yeah. and it starts doing a countdown. And at the last second, he finally stops because uh, they say they're going to detonate the shit in his head if he doesn't stop.
0: And there's no reason to not believe them at this point, <laughs> exactly.
1: And we're like eleven, thirteen minutes into the movie at this point before they're on lockdown and shit's happening. It's it's pretty quick. So we then see Wendell perv on Leandra some more in the kitchen, and I think this is the time where she's like, "Fuck off!" Like, right? Like, there's this isn't. You're staring at me across the room, IMing me shit. This is like, uh uh-uh, we're we're not going down this road, sir. So we already know what's going to happen later or potentially happen later. We also see Terry and one of the guys ripping apart the bathroom like, how did they know what he was doing? And just in this little closet bathroom, they find three cameras. Meanwhile, Barry tries to get the keys to the armory from Evan.
0: Yeah, and he tries to sweet talk him out of it, too.
1: But yeah, the, all the sweet talking with Evan doesn't work because yeah. Evan's like, fuck you, I quit.
0: <laughs> yeah, because he gives him a bottle of water like he's trying to be his friend, right? And he's like, yeah, it's really dangerous. I should probably have that key. And he's like, you know, fucking protocol. And that, he has to quit so his boss can't tell him what to do there.
1: Yep. So also, meanwhile, hmm. Hmm. we see that Marty has started his descent into madness <laughs> as he's having lady brains washed off of him. So the voice then comes over the intercom again. Telling them not to disable the security cameras and not to remove the tags, or else
0: Yeah, so basically anything's allowed except for those things, right? Yes.
1: Instruction set two then follows. There are currently seventy-six of you left in the building. The time is now twelve forty-seven PM. By two forty seven PM, in two
0: hours, we want thirty of you dead through whatever means necessary. If 30 of you are not dead, we will end 60 of your lives through our own methods. Christ. Begin. Yeah, because they didn't kill their their two, they were asked. Nope. So Marty
1: pulls the fire alarm, hoping that somebody will come. (laughs) And the group then pretty quickly splits into three factions. The generic panic with no direction group. (laughs) The do-something-anything fighters, led by Mike. And the, I'm going to grab some knives from the kitchen and kill some people because I'm a selfish asshole, guys, led by Wendell. Now, this isn't all solidified right here, but this is where the split begins. Because we're going to have another meeting after this, but this is already where the the seed is planted.
0: We've also found out at this point that Barry and Wendell are both ex-special forces. Yep. You going to try to hold
1: that against me? (laughs)
0: Yeah, because dude's like some of us are gonna fare better than others. Yep. And he's like, "I've because re- he's the HR guy," and he's like, "I've read your profiles, and you two are <laughs> fucking special forces."
1: There are also two smaller offshoots. There is the do nothing hide and seek, and the full blown nervous breakdown crazy new crew. But we'll get into those two. Hmm, hmm. Which crew's the stoner in? The uh, full blown nervous breakdown crazy.
0: I was thinking that. I was making <laughs> sure. sure I was on
1: board here for the ride. So in case you haven't heard it enough, meanwhile, hmm. <laughs> we see Bud and Lonnie inspecting the uh, shutoff HVAC system. Cause they're like, the air's not working. Do you think they did this to make us even more nervous? And Bud's trying to rationalize and just kind of feel everything out, where Lonnie's starting to slip real fast. But there seems to be something a little off about Lonnie. And he goes into a full grown panic and he grabs a wrench and he kind of accidentally bashes Bud's skull in. Yeah. And it's because he got spooked when when Bud went to grab him and this is where I'm going to hang to talk about them because this whole thing is so brief between the two of them. Yeah,
0: yeah. like they're very important characters, and they're very memorable, but the whole time you're like, why are they so close? Why is he protecting them? Because even earlier when the radio thing came on, Bud pulled out the wrench and handed it to him. He said, hey, man, you watch my back, I'll watch yours. And then, I don't know, when he got fucking hit, though, and you see that dent, (laughs) like... That's like, oh, shit. Like, it <laughs> fucked me up when that happened. However, did you notice the green plate still on his head at the last shot? Like, uh-uh. they, they didn't. Yeah, they uh, fucked up. That's funny. There's one shot where you can see the green thing on his head. It's pretty <laughs> funny.
1: I personally think that Lonnie is a little bit special, and he is under Bud's wing in kind of a big brother, little brother kind of thing. Okay. And that that's just how they work together.
0: I mean, he was obviously looking after him.
1: Yeah, there's some weird relationship between the two of them that I think a lot is said just in the, their little bit of time on screen without explaining it, that I just, I just think it's neat. I don't have to ask why yada, 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 because I saw people writing about it where they're like, oh, they're gay together. Like, is that really? Yeah. Like, is that as far as your brain can go? I'm totally feeling like something's a little off about Lonnie and, and Bud's just trying to protect him. And they could literally be brothers. I don't know. Anywho, those are their two offshoots. So Danny pops up all of a sudden, where the fuck has she been? (laughs) And a struggle ensues between her and Lonnie, which leads to Lonnie's skull being impaled on some rebar sticking out of a column. Yep. And it kind of, the whole fight happens that quickly.
0: I mean, it is that fast. She's hiding. She sees him arguing. He kills Bud. She's like, hey, I didn't see shit. And then struggle, kick off the wall, dead. I mean, it's amazing.
1: And then she hides.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. That's her (laughs) MO of this film.
1: So we head back upstairs and we've got Barry trying to get everyone to at least discuss their options. Right. (laughs) Um, As the factions start to become clear. Now, the rest of the movie is going to set off what I think the deeper thing is in this movie. And I won't hang here too long, but I just got to explain it. So we've got the corporate slash dictator slash communist versus the employee slash people slash workers dichotomy that is Barry and Mike. Like you said earlier, Barry's not a bad guy. Right. Barry is a manager trying to figure out how to most effectively save as many people as possible. right? That's all he's trying to do. His way of trying to get there may be flawed, but he really thinks what he's doing is
0: right. I don't even think it's exactly that i think he knows it's fucking wrong i think he knows there's not a right way to do it yeah but but in his head he's like fuck it if we could just kill 30 people really quick i could save everybody else but mike's the one that's like you know they're gonna make us kill more people after this yeah right
1: and that's what mike says while they're having the discussion he's like do you really think they're gonna let the rest of us walk out of here
0: i mean if they would have killed the two originally it was still have went to the kill 30 exactly
1: So you've got Mike being like, we got to find a way around this. Like, I believe life is sacred, yada, yada, yada. And, and Barry doing the whole thing. Like, I believe that I've got to find a way to save as many people as possible, but they're doing it in two completely different paths. And that right there is the whole point of this movie in my opinion. So (laughs) once the, uh. I should have kept a little note here for my names of my different factions.
0: I need fucking post-it notes on board <laughs> or something.
1: But the Mike group heads up off to the roof to do help us banners. And we kind of lag behind on Barry. And he turns to Terry and is like, hey, Terry, you've got kids. What, what is your moral instincts telling you about this right. situation? And Barry kind of goes on a little thing trying to rationalize what he's about to do, talking about how you know his, his wife and his kids need him. You know? Right. And it's kind of some internal justification to turn that part off and do what's got to be done.
0: And you got to remember, he was special forces. So he's had to kill people before. Yeah. Tri- because he was
1: told to. Well, and he knows he's going to have to know about triage. And that's exactly what this is potentially fixing to be at this point.
0: He's doing some fucking risk assessments. <laughs> <is doing. laughs> so That's what he's doing.
1: <laughs> so as the, uh, the fighters, that's what I had him as head up to the roof.
0: Which is funny that you call them the fighters because they're like the super, like, hippie yeah. piece, man.
1: But they're the do something. Like, I can't just sit or be told what to right. do. I've got to do something. Um, the assholes, as I've, as I've pinned them here, um, <laughs> they head for the armory. And the crazies attack the water.
0: It's in the fucking water, man. What is? Some sort of fucking psychotropic fucking chemical or something, man. It's making us all on fucking edge. Go <laughs> go. I'm protecting us, motherfucker. That's going to get moldy. I like how the big guy thinks he's crazy when he dumps the first water cooler. And then later, he's fucking—he's drank the Kool-Aid and he's on board. I think they went and took some shit. <laughs> I hope so. So, uh,
1: <laughs> when they're walking through the lobby, Leandra notices the missing blowtorch and uh, she Mike and Evan did head over to the armory and confront the assholes and this actually leads to Mike shooting the blowtorch not like the handle of it but like where the gauges and fucking yeah. hoses come off the what I'm assuming is an oxy torch because it's got two tanks to stop them from getting to the small arms.
0: Thank God the maintenance crew didn't have extra hoses in the closet. Right. Well,
1: Thank God that Mike is such a good and or bad shot. Cause he <laughs> could have just fu- It could have been the end of the movie for these characters. Yeah. Right fucking. Then. <laughs> but now between the two factions of disagreeing and we're, we're going to go do our own thing. But n- now they're we've, we've reached a point we can't turn back from because Evan first gets so upset that he pulls his gun on him. Yeah. And That's it. There is going to be no more good blood between these two groups.
0: And uh, Barry basically tells Mike he's done fucked up at this point. And you can tell Leandra's pissed the whole time.
1: Yeah. Because we're going to find out from her that she's somewhere in between. She really isn't on team, Mike. There are people that walk the line down the middle, though. You got to have everybody. So, uh, oh, shit. It's this part right here. uh, (laughs) Because... (laughs) Leandra then tries to tell Mike that it's all pointless and no matter what it's going to devolve into every man for himself that's yeah it's, it's survival like it's so what's going to happen?
0: What we can't gloss over here, though, is Evan trying to tell Mike how much of a badass he is. <laughs> in the elevator and he's smirking because he's a nerd, and he's like, "Yeah, I well, was kind of b- badass. I'm just like, "Why don't you just go ahead and fucking blow him right here, <laughs> right?" Like that's how you know she's pissed for that part. That was a great way to fucking break the tension right there.
1: That's also one of those dialogues in that setting where you know this is a James Gunn written film. <laughs> <laughs> so, <sighs> once on the roof which I have a lot of problems with this. Like, I could have hung banners off of this roof without getting shot at. Yeah. Can't say anything about the head exploding, but I could have done this without being shot at. (laughs)
0: Like, why couldn't they just anchor them to something on the roof? Exactly.
1: Why do they they got to use the hooks on the outside? We don't need to be efficient right now. We need (laughs) to be alive.
0: (laughs) I don't give a fuck what OSHA says. We're in Columbia. Okay? But yeah, I mean, they had three thousand feet of rope like they, they brought all these spools up they needed 10 feet and they brought like all these giant spools up
1: and they got a fucking dead body laying there on the ground that blew up earlier that they could anchor the shit to yeah I mean, just saying but anyways so uh <laughs> the guards end up shooting at keith in the hand while they're trying to hang the shit and uh the voice tells them to knock it off or they'll all get brain scanned this is the part where <laughs> They lose the first banner, and when they're going to do the second banner, Mike looks at it and he's like, you spelled hanger wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and in my notes,
0: I'm like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I spelled it wrong, too. <laughs> if you guys don't know, Josh can't spell for shit. So. No. No, I, I owe
1: you a carton of cigarettes from when we were, like, fucking 18 for arguing about how to spell something. <laughs>
0: I don't smoke anymore, though, so it's not going to work. So you owe me the $300 a quart of a cigarette costs now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like how you're, you're adding, a, adding a inflation to that. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> so after this failure, they start heading back down the stairs. And Mike tries to tell Leandra that their jobs are pointless and that the only reason they're there is for this experiment. Like, think about it. Like, they don't give a shit what we do. Look at how everything's set up. Like, right. this is some end game, not an attack. This is, this is the plan. And she's not having it. And then Barry pops up and knocks Mike the fuck out with a fire extinguisher. Yeah. And then uh, Wendell stabs Evan when he won't give up his fucking keys. Well, he gives them up to the ground like five floors below.
0: Yeah, like, yeah. You want the keys? Get them. Happy <laughs> birthday to the ground. <laughs> yes. And he they knocked out Mike to get the gun, right?
1: Yes. Because because Mike took it from Evan when they were in the armoring. So now they got a gun. They got a knocked out Mike. They got a dying fucking bleeding out Evan, and they've got the chick that Wendell's been perving on like, yeah. Oh God, I see the dark turn. We're fixing to take
0: and watching Evan dies really dark too. Cause he's like one of the few, like actually good characters <laughs> in the movie. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. And it's, it's a slow death. He's dying with a fucking kitchen knife hanging out of him.
1: Yep. And he had no, what really sucks is he's, he's like the independent contractors on the death star. Yeah. Yeah. He, He was just the security guy, man. He just chilled at the desk and made sure everybody was okay. He had no dog in this hunt. So the assholes now have the keys and they head to grab the guns.
0: And this part's really interesting because this is where Barry starts to figure it out because he unlocks it. He pulls the guns out. He lets Wendell, you know, hand off the guns to his crew. And you got the bigger guy with the beard and mustache. I don't know where he came from, but he joins the crew at some point.
1: He's some scary Russian looking dude to me.
0: He is a scary looking guy. So... He hands it out and starts handing out the magazines. Then Barry looks up and he goes, there's only two guards. This doesn't make sense. Like, what are all <laughs> these guns here for? And that's when Barry starts to realize Mike's not fucking crazy. This was all set up.
1: Yep. And then and then I think it's uh, Wendell asked me, he's like, why are you keeping all, all the extra magazines? And he's like, because I'm the one who's going to do this. We're wondering, I mean, we know what's supposed to happen, but how, right. do, how do we get there? How does upper management feel like we should move the company
0: towards this goal? <laughs> Terry had the best plan, really, but I, I agree. I mean, it's fucked up. We're getting there. We're getting it all sucks.
1: But yeah. So now that they're armed, the assholes, as I keep calling them, corral everybody into the lobby. Yep. And they start splitting the employees up first based on whether or not they have kids under the age of 18. And then the young and old. And then they don't have enough.
0: Right, right. Because they pull the 60 or older over. And Barry was yep. hoping he could hit close to his, his goal of 30 there for the quarter. Uh, <laughs> and, and he was far God off. Goddamn quotas. <laughs> I know. And this is, you start seeing Barry,
1: like, pacing and, like, putting his head down. And, like, this, this is the struggle. This is the upper management struggle that I joked about where it's, Somebody who thinks they're doing the right thing. What what's going to save the most people? And he's really, really not having this. But then, Kind of like Mike, when he's standing in the mirror, going to cut the back of his head and he goes, fuck it, I got to act now or I'm not going to do it. He just starts plucking people at random. Yeah. And this is somewhere in here is when Terry's like, dude, we couldn't. Couldn't we just have everybody write their name down and put it in a hat? And he's like, we don't have time for that.
0: Including them, right? Like, would have been the right way to do yes. it. Yes. Because you can tell Barry does not want to murder a bunch of people. And you're, you're about to confirm that here in a minute. Oh, yeah. But he doesn't want to do this. But he, he's like, if we kill 30, we save 60 or whatever. You know what I mean? Or we kill 30, we save 30 or yep. whatever. And if you knew they were honest. You get where he's coming from on that. But if you listen to Mike and he's like, they're just going to fucking make us kill more after that, you know, which you should have the realization at that point. But the important thing here is is Barry doesn't want to fucking murder everybody. Nope. He just feels like he has to murder everybody. Exactly. And
1: (laughs) Hotel California, another Spanish cover, (laughs) cranks up on Evan's pocket radio by the big scary Russian guy. And Barry starts making his way down the road blowing people away and like he's like nearly in tears doing it yeah not not like in a wimpy way he
0: he is in tears and it didn't just randomly come on the radio he had him turn it on because he didn't want to listen to him cry for help and after he shoots a couple people he's like (laughs) fucking turn it up (laughs) because he can't handle all these people crying and begging for their lives but he's he's doing it Yep. and the majority of his subordinates are just like yeah fuck yeah and just to see how unhinged wendell is as Barry's crying, shooting everybody in the back of the head. Wendell's just got his arms crossed, chicken head, like, yeah, yeah, man. He's like one, yeah. He's just falling down the road. Counting. Yeah, he's counting. And Terry has oddly neon green vomit.
1: He his vomit looks like the acid spit from
0: Slither. <laughs> <It does. laughs> But really, if you look at it, Terry, Terry ain't a part of this at all. No. Like, he's lucky they even brought him along, right? And then Barry doesn't want to be doing it, but he's the boss, and he knows you got to work fucking weekends sometimes, right? (laughs) And then Wendell and the big, scary-looking guy, they just look like fucking psychopathic murderers.
1: Yes. But yeah, yeah, Terry's like, I understand how Switzerland ended up deciding on neutrality.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Really, Barry's performing in, in a normal situation. This is when the board tells you you have to fire 25% of your staff. Yep. That's exactly. What he's to There's do. a reason he's the fucking CEO, man. <laughs> yeah, but you got to realize that whoever's running this experiment purposely put two special ops guys high up. Oh, yeah. Like that's part of the experiment
1: right oh, there. Oh, yeah. So. I may have kind of glossed over this. Mike is, of course, one of the people picked at random to line up on the murder wall. And he's down at the end of the row and he's, he's a wild card. So they've got Terry actually holding a gun on him. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) well, first Mike's like, Terry, come on, man, you know me, you know, this isn't right. You haven't done anything yet. We still have a chance to make this right. And he's like, Mike Milch is trying to make me give him, give him my
0: gun. And I didn't, (laughs) he's like the fucking shooter (laughs) then the world's fucking hide and seek champion comes in to save the day
1: because meanwhile (laughs) upon hearing the gunshots danny peeps in on the lobby and she sees what's going on and she runs back downstairs and she shuts off the power chaos ensues and the assholes just start randomly shooting as the employees scatter yep danny ends up going into an elevator that has roberto in it and they both climb up on top of it to hide. And uh, we also see a few of the just regular people start to fight back against the, the, the asshole click. The assholes split up to go find other people. And the voice comes on again. Says they've only got two minutes left to kill one more person. Yep. And with everybody so scattered, we end up with Terry and Leandra in this office area together. And uh, she's like quietly over at one of those fucking paper cutters yeah and i'm like i've seen tromeo and juliet i so know what's fixing to happen (laughs) (laughs) and she gets the blade off of it and uh (laughs) you think she's gonna go ahead and go to town and just slaughter the shit out of terry and she can't do it and she kind of breaks down and he kind of breaks down and the voice announces that the time has run out and 31 heads pop starting with terry yeah and uh this time it's intercut with some well not somebody but somebody's hand at a switchboard just hitting switches right with the employees names next to it
0: spelled incorrectly a lot of the time it's kind of funny if you pay attention
1: yeah see i worked as a prop guy on a couple of movies and they shouldn't have let me do any writing <laughs> <laughs> so after uh, 31 flavors explode everywhere so
0: 31 or 30?
1: 31. Oh. They needed one to get to 30, and they were going to kill 60 if they didn't, so they only got to 29, so they killed 31. Ah. I'm bad at spelling, but I'm pretty fucking good at counting.
0: <laughs> Do you think it would have ended if Leandra had killed Terry there? Yeah, I don't think so either. It was
1: always going to come down to a sole survivor. Always.
0: Well, we can confirm that at the end. Yep.
1: So anyways, <laughs> there's not a lot of people left at the company now.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's been and- a little bit of downsizing. <laughs> Well, they brought in the Bobs. <laughs> there are a lot of parallels you can make between these movies. They're in all seriousness. Like yeah. Mike is My- Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Marty's Marty and Mike's Mike. What
1: the fuck? It's inception. Damn. But the voice, of course, comes back on. The last stage of the game is quite simple. In one hour, whoever has killed, the most people will be allowed to live. Begin. So some of the key people left, Mike, Barry with 11 kills, Leandra, Wendell with seven kills, Vance with one kill, Danny with one kill, and Roberto, who's not holding Danny anymore after they (laughs) announced that she has a kill.
0: (laughs) I love that scene. He's got his arms around and he's taking care of the new girl and they start doing it and they say, Danny, one kill. And he's like, "Mm." like he found out she has herpes or something. I don't want to fucking touch her. And Vance having the one kill is because they tried to overpower another random guy that had a gun that I never saw with the assholes until this part. I have no fucking clue that guy got a gun. But there's a guy with a gun, and and actually, they they collectively curb stuff. I was going to say, they curb stuff his ass. I guess Vance got the kill because he got the kill and blow, maybe. Yeah, I do have
1: been. (laughs) So now, even some of the non assholes start killing. Just yeah. like Leandra predicted. It's going to reach a point that it doesn't matter. Everyone's going to try to
0: survive. I mean, Vance immediately blast a woman in the face right here.
1: Yeah. But now the assholes are full on sadistic. Like yeah. Dr. Cox with the meat cleaver fucking, and that, that poor, that poor scared dude who writes yeah. a suicide note and hides in the refrigerator and yeah. shit. Like, oh dude, this shit gets brutal.
0: I mean, Wendell's the craziest motherfucker in here.
1: He really is. Yeah. Yeah. Pervy, rapey, hacky.
0: He's the bad guy. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, uh. Barry hops in the elevator. Yes, the elevator that Danny and (laughs) Roberto are on top of. And uh, Danny's like, nope, and just hops right off the side of the elevator into the the shaft. And Roberto's like, huh, it's going all the way up. I'm going to get squished. I should probably jump that way. And then he waits too long, jumps, and then gets like halfway cut in half squished as,
0: as the elevator
1: reaches the top.
0: Here's the problem I have with that scene. Just hear me out a second. Okay. So they're on the elevator and he hits the button and starts going up. And Roberto's like, oh shit, his office is on the top floor. And that's when Danny's like, fuck it, jumps off, right? So Barry just found out that he's in the lead and whoever has the most kills at the end of this timer gets to live. Uh And he's going to go upstairs to his office away from all the people to shoot at.
1: That's a damn good point.
0: Yeah, this part was. Out of place or poorly written or something, because there's no reason for him to go upstairs other than to kill Roberto right here.
1: Yeah, yeah. I can't think of, because then he comes back down with what's fixing to happen in a few minutes, and there's nothing important that he does up there. Because
0: I don't remember how many kills Wendell has. It's like six or seven, but surely he doesn't think he could ride it out in his office with that that minute of a lead with the amount of people alive. No. Wendell's a fucking psychopath.
1: Interesting plot hole.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't like that part about it.
1: So we cut back to Leandra. She's making her way into the lobby where she finds Marty and his buddy plucking the unexploded bombs out of corpses. Yeah. And uh, they plan to use them to blow the door. Like, that's a pretty good plan, right? And she's like, huh. And then for some reason, Leandra hops on the intercom to tell Mike she's in the lobby. Now everyone else knows she's in the lobby.
0: Well, Marty points that out. She's like, you idiot. They're going to know where we're at. And she's like, I got to know if my friend's okay.
1: And and that's what makes it even worse, because she's the one trying to tell Mike, like, no matter what you do, we're all fucked. Everybody's going to go nuts. like
0: She's accepted death at this point. Well,
1: that's even sadder, man. No, I think
0: that's what it is. I think she's accepted death at this point. The other two guys are tripping balls and LSDs. they, OSD, yeah, so they yeah. don't give a fuck.
1: <laughs> so the three of them, for, for the rest of the movie, or at least for a few minutes. About 30 seconds. <laughs> it's a fast-moving movie. Are going to be known as the Bomb Squad.
0: Shit. <laughs>
1: so the bomb squad then runs into Wendell in the cafeteria or cantina as they call it.
0: Is this where he's dragging the the, yes. the freezer? He's just fucking, it. he's dead. It, and he's yeah. still hacking him.
1: <laughs> and firstly, Andrew goes to shoot him because all hell's broke loose. I don't know where she got the gun. I don't really care. And, uh,
0: it was Terry's gun.
1: Was it? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, she misses and she has no more ammo. Wendell who has more ammo returns fire. And this flimsy ass table protects all that. Nope. Wait, big dude's gone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Leandra ends up throwing the table over on Wendell as they slide it over to him. And he's kind of pinned under the table, gets the fucking fire ax that yeah. Marty had when they came running in there and just, you know, watermelons is fucking yes.
0: Yeah, there is a lot of continuity problems with this movie the the green sheet I was talking about on yeah. Rooker's head this is a bad one right here because you can see when she's on the table on him it's covering all but like his shoulder and his throat and his head and then anytime she's swinging the axe it only comes up to his belly button and then it'll zoom back in and it's up to his head again and it's yeah. like how did you not catch that shit that's anyways what, I, I might be nitpicking
1: I'm gonna go with that's one of the days Mr. Gunn was not on set
0: that's what I was getting <laughs> at I feel like James would have caught that but he also went the direction so yeah sorry i derailed you once again my friend
1: so uh she's got a kill
0: and uh, <laughs> she's on the board yay <laughs>
1: she then reunites with mike in the lobby where she said she was but she left but now she's gone back just want to point that out like mike i'm in the lobby <laughs> she
0: just fucking leaves
1: <laughs> but anyways so with those two reunited Mike pockets the bombs and Vance runs in and starts firebombing the place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he does. And first he sets the the one lady who looks like she's in housekeeping, hits her first. And I want to say at this point, she's got the corn cob thing.
0: I was gonna bring that up. I was upset you weren't mentioning the corn cob. It's actually changed hands a couple of times. Whoever has the corn cob stays alive until they get rid of it.
1: It is a good look charm. It, it is made myself. It worked. <laughs> until then. <laughs> Worse than Vance running in firebombing in the place, Barry shows back up. Yeah. And he starts fucking shooting. Vance gets shot, and Mike and Leandra go running off, but then Mike notices that she got fucking shot, too.
0: Yeah, I'm assuming in the stairwell, because he just started fucking popping off on the door. Yep. And, uh, meanwhile. <laughs> Before you meanwhile, uh-huh. there's a kill that you did not mention that oh. is gnarly. Which one? His secret Barry's secretary. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, because at the very <laughs> beginning of the movie, when he walks in the office, she's walking by and he's checking out her ass. And I think there's music playing. You can't hear dialogue. And his face is like, oh, fuck, look at that. And it cuts to her face and her eyes roll. And he's walking out in the hallway earlier. This is right when they got the fucking, you got to kill, whoever's got the high score wins, right? Yeah. And she comes walking by and she's like, I can give you what you want. <laughs> and she pops her, you know, shirt opens, her boobs are out. They're in a brawl, but, you know, she yeah. pops her shirt off. And he puts the gun up in his in his belt and he's like, Don't do that, dude, don't do that. And he walks up close to fucking hunger and he just pops her head like a corkscrew and he goes, Gotta save a bullet. Yeah. He's like like, come here, come here.
1: Can't waste the bullet. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it was like, I don't know how we skipped that, but that was a fucked up Because that's when I think Barry went over the hill. Oh, that's when Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's when his cheese slid off his cracker. Yeah.
0: Anyways, it was too gnarly of a kill to skip. So who's left at this point?
1: Um, Mike. Barry Leandra bleeding out Leandra's bleeding out and Danny is MIA and that's it she's not MIA for long though yeah yeah because meanwhile (laughs) (laughs) because she makes her way down the elevator shaft and the way this whole thing's set up to me when we get to this part of the movie it's quite clear that she's gonna end up being the lone survivor you know good girl on her first day
0: final Um, girl she's avoided
1: every Barry just shot her in the head
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fucking awesome Like the elevator door opens And she drops in and he just turns around and goes, BOW! And it's like fucking, bam! that just
1: happened And that's what it feels like, man, you get to that point point, like, this chick has like 19 lives, there's no way She's not the one we're rooting for And by the time you come to that conclusion That crack in the
0: elevator door, like you said Then, gone I mean, her getting shot there is just As much of an oh fuck moment as the first Head popping on the roof Yeah yeah. I just want to say, this movie's like metal as fuck and goes <laughs> fast as shit. It feels like a 30-minute movie when you watch it. Oh, yeah. There is no chill time.
1: No, none at all. Right at the very beginning. It's like 11.59, and then it's on. Right. Like right. crack cocaine.
0: <laughs> Did you get the vibe at the beginning when they're waiting in line to go through the gate to work, like at office space when they're in the yes. traffic jam, right? Yes. Yeah, Mike's
1: so, listening to the you fucking- You better realize something, Mo. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am sorry, I am tanking you on this movie, but
1: so many good conversations. So while this is going on, Mike has drugged what's left of Leandra into like this filing cabinet, yeah, yeah, and our, our utility cabinet, and they're both in there, and he's like, "We're gonna be okay," and she's just like choking on her own blood and shit. Yeah. She's like, "I love you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really what happens. So. Now, Mike's cheese has slid
0: off his cracker.
1: Yep. And it's just Barry and Mike. Now, when they first came to Belko, there was a training video that told them what to do when all hope is lost with both your crew and your management. (laughs) Let's go see that video. (laughs) So, of course, what we've all been waiting for, Barry and Mike go fucking hand to hand in this training room. And it's a pretty quick fight. And and at some point, the projector really does get kicked on. And it's like at Belco. (laughs) It's funny as shit.
0: I was really glad that Mike starts getting his ass whooped immediately. Like he can only win if he grabs a weapon off the side and smacks him while he's not looking. Because Barry's supposed to be special forces. And he's a big dude. Mike is not a big guy. And uh, I don't even know if he's played Mortal Kombat. He might not have had the stomach for it, right? So I'm glad that, like, when they're fighting, it is Barry fucking Kung Fu hitting him in the throat and shit. Yeah. And then Mike's like, oh, good. You're not looking. I, gr- I grabbed this thing. I can hit you with it. Right? Well, there's
1: even a deleted scene called uh, Mike Gets Beat Up or something like that, uh-huh. where two regular office dudes actually string his ass up from the ceiling, and they're about to kill him. They're about to stab him in the neck or something. Or something. And the other guy's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe... I should get this one, and you can have the next one. So that tells you when it's going on. It's when yeah. whoever has the highest count. And they're distracted arguing about it, and then he gets away. But then he gets his ass beat some more. And then it's like Mike gets beat up. A Mike gets beat up. <laughs> C. Like it goes through like all these different ones of like this long thing of letting you know Mike can't fight.
0: I'm glad they cut that because they got all of that before the scene, yes. and then they prove it in the scene. Right yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. yep.
1: So contingencies, but yes, <laughs> better editing prevailed. But like you said, grabbing something and bashing him to death—it's a tape dispenser, <laughs> and it's the poster
0: of the movie. Yeah, finally, I was like, "Where's yeah. where's it at?"
1: And uh, just before Barry's like really finished off, he says, "Yo, you didn't change goddamn thing, or you didn't yeah. cha- you didn't change a thing." And uh, <laughs> and Mike's like, "Neither did you." <laughs> right, right, right. And uh,
0: which and- just shows that it, they were both. Not in control. Like exactly. no one is in
1: control here the whole damn time. And uh, Mike finishes smashing Barry's face in. He's dead. Ah, uh, the light comes in as the shutters open, and uh, the voice comes over on the intercom. And it's like, you know, Mike Milch, you are the survivor. Blah blah blah. <laughs> yada yada yada. Like, you come. want a new Prius? <laughs> yeah, come on down. <laughs> and two guards start escorting his ass out of the building,
0: which he's stumbling all over both of them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, like he's trying to grab everywhere he can to keep himself held up. And uh, they take him over into the hangar and the voice reveals himself as everyone's favorite fucking mayor. <laughs> and he's full of dear cheer because <laughs> it is what's his nuts, like you said earlier. And uh, what's his nuts is what I use when I don't remember names for anybody that's listened to more than two episodes. Um, <laughs> so he reveals himself into the control panel. And Mike immediately just breaks away from the guard, just like, like falling apartly and falls on him and grabs him. And he's like, why,
0: why?
1: Yeah. And he's like, sit your ass down. And uh, we want to ask you some questions.
0: <laughs> and the one guy with the clipboard that's like, yeah, man, yeah. Like, he's <laughs> fucking into this. It's like, this is my favorite part. We get ice cream after this. <laughs> this is the scientist. Like, that's the guy. <laughs> yeah. We're doing the, that's the guy that got the grant right there. There you go. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself when he asked why, why it's like, we're just gathering data.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> a we, social experiment and there's pesky walls in place, right? <laughs> like he goes on a rant and this way they can do it, uh, fucking without any, any intervention.
1: So, uh, Mike interrupts him cause he doesn't want to answer any of his fucking question. And, uh, he says, he's looking at the monitors. He's like, y'all could see everything in there. Right. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, then, then you know that I got all those bombs. And he's like, well, well, where are they now? And he's like, They're all over you and all over your guards. Yeah. And he lunges for the control panel and not by finger, not by hand, entire fucking arm just starts hitting all the rows of switches, but doesn't hit his. Bottom
0: right corner. So he was able to miss it.
1: Yep. So it was it by department because it sure as fuck wasn't alphabetical. (laughs) (laughs) And with these guys, and it's not like some big Michael Bay bullshit. It's like you know, enough to incapacitate. He grabs a gun. He shoots the rest of the fucking guards. And then he turns on the voice to finish him off. And the voice is all like, you know, but, but Mike, you value human life. Da, 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 da. So, you know, there's a file on him. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. there's a guy's fucking reciting and he empties the bag into his face. Like, that's it. There's his moment. Cause yeah. he's just had enough. And, uh, he walks outside and the shot pulls out. And, and it pulls, it does the matrix thing where it yeah. co- co- comes out of the fucking monitor and there's all these other monitors. And this is what reminded me of cabin in the woods when it's showing like all the other locations that either failed or succeeded, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And you see all these other people at all these other buildings that look like they've seen some shit. And some of them are sitting crying. Some of them are just covered in blood, staring blankly. Some of them are yelling into the cameras that you're looking at, but you're like, oh my God, he's just one of many. Yeah. And uh, a new voice comes on because this time it's female and it says in stage one commence stage two and uh that's the thing because like what was you said what was mentioned in the training video is like they're in over 40 fucking countries yeah this shit is happening all over the world and it goes to credits that's the end of the movie but i am like salivating like i want to know what stage two is
0: yeah yeah i need the sequel because you gotta face it baby these days you gotta have a sequel but uh all right problems and contradictions yeah i have a couple problems with that ending scene there one is another continuity type issue there's only about 20 images they reuse them a lot and it gets irritating to the point where sometimes the double side by side oh really yeah like they didn't even spread them out oh
1: fucking interns
0: (laughs) and another thing that bothers me if you look at the cameras there's always one survivor covered in blood so that means they've all murdered the guards and the scientists yeah like, nobody's in the room with the scientists getting questioned. True. They're all pissed solo. So, like, that was part of the experiment was how are they going to kill all the guards and the scientists? I think so. This isn't a problem, but you notice that uh, the voice, he's so burned. Yeah. And I'm like, is he a survivor from one of these? Oh, are God. Are we going to find out it's, like, some saw shit, right? Oh,
1: yeah. He's just hes just a pawn in a, in a bigger machine.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's some inconsistencies and effects issues in this movie, but all in all, like I said earlier— it's a very quick film. Like, it just yeah. starts, you see them in line at the beginning. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster, right? Like You think <laughs> it's like office space, and, and they get in the office, and like Josh said, 11, 12 minutes in, somebody's fucking head explodes, and it doesn't stop until the credits roll right here. Yep.
1: It, it is a fun ride. Like I said, going into it, I think, I think too many—I've said this so many times in this fucking show—too many casual— movie watchers don't get it or right. didn't stick around long enough to see the whole thing for what it is and it's another one of those that there's there's something in there for everybody there's a lot of drama there's action there's gore there's very dark humor yeah um but there's also there's character development a lot of
0: character development
1: and and, and the, the 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 whole societal comparison here because it works at so many levels between an office environment a a a upper echelon corporate environment up to a government environment up to you know full-on nation environment and right back down to two guys that are both in a fucked up situation and both doing what they think is right until they crack yeah and it doesn't focus on the crack the crack happens in the lap to both of them in the last like 90 seconds of the movie
0: yeah i mean mike doesn't lose a shit till leandra dies yeah and in its writing, this is a very, very James Gunn movie, but I wish I could have seen the version directed by him. And I'm not shitting on the other director. Yeah. I just wish I could have seen James in full control of this fucking story. And if there's ever a sequel, maybe he gets the chance to direct it. Well, he was at least,
1: he fought for full, well, didn't fight. He, he said, I want full control as a producer. So th- I don't want to say there was handholding, but I'm sure there's a lot that he steered. Yeah. And like, like there is, like I was saying video of him actually kind of like the whole, uh, Toby Hooper. Yeah. He's yeah. like, like, man, that guy sure was on set a lot. <laughs> yeah.
0: I just feel like some of the continuity errors that I pointed out wouldn't have been there. And your average movie goer probably didn't catch most of that. Yeah. Either. But for the most part, it, it was directed in that James Gunn style. Like he helped if, if he got to pick the director as a producer, he, he picked somebody that he thought could do it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and the thing is, like in this in this little toe in the water of of selected movies to talk about James Gunn, um, I mean, I know he directed Slither, but there's a lot in here to talk about him from a writing angle.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think it's at the at the beginning that I feel like he's primarily a screenplay writer. He's just gotten to direct some giant tentpole triple A films, right? <laughs>
1: well, it, well, it's fun because, like you said earlier, you know, you can watch five minutes of of a James Gunn movie and like no, or how, however you put it, know it's a James Gunn movie. Yeah, and what's cool is it's not like you know, you could say the same thing about a Quentin Tarantino movie.
0: Yeah, that's what i was saying. He's but, an auteur, but it doesn't. I can't tell you specifically what it is. It doesn't jump out. You can just feel it.
1: But you know how you can tell that, like all Tarantino movies, you come out of the same bucket. Yeah, I don't mean that. Feet in a, it. Yeah, and I don't mean it in a bad way. But there's like <sighs> Tarantino works in this sliver, which I'm holding up my hands right now. Not yeah. a tiny sliver, but they, he stays here.
0: Very dialogue heavy, character driven films in something that appears as being wham bam michael bay action packed <laughs> while being the dialogue carrying it the whole time like yeah. that, honestly that's his strength right there
1: yeah yeah and he'll just pluck he'll take that same setting and characters and just move it to different time periods different environments and not in a full-blown rinse and repeat no he, he will take what that new environment is to shift everything and make it work but and it's it fucking of, works but that's kind of his thing i don't see that out of gun i gun it's he's all over the place yeah. like this man can write whatever he wants i And I I may need to see or read more of his work. I don't know about, like, full-blown, like, rom-com stuff. But but it's neat that everything's different.
0: Yeah. Like, he's made The Specials, Super, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Suicide Squad. And that's four different superhero movies that are unrelated. Yeah. And none of them are the same vibe. Exactly. Uh, But they're all a James Gunn movie. Yeah, yeah.
1: They all have the James Gunn vibe.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But
1: they don't have the... Oh, James. Good.
0: <laughs> I like how he has idols that he always wanted to work with like Rooker. Yeah. So he got Rooker early on. Always wanted to work with Kurt Russell. That's why he's Jack McCready. Right. Got fucking Kurt Russell for guardians of the galaxy too. Yep. Like, like he's like, I got, I got people that I want to work with <laughs> from <laughs> when I was a kid. This is going to happen.
1: I got some dreams. I got some fucking yep. plans.
0: And, uh, I don't know. Like I said, there's people that bitch about him because of shit on social media in the past and whatnot. When you hear his cast and crew talk about him, everybody likes him and regularly says that he is the most fun director to work with and that he cares about the actors, which a lot of horror directors, you hear that they're really good at the actors because they were actors. But everybody really likes the guy and they like to just keep fucking coming back, which is great because he's picked great actors to play very varying roles and he's got a couple movies in the pipe right now. One of them's guardians three. I can't remember what the other one was. It was something kind of, you know, different kind of genre, but we don't have any more horror coming out of him right now. I really hope we get some more (laughs) because I like to see it. We always make those jokes. Like what if this person worked with this director? He's one that could might actually do it because he does just write shit sometimes. But most of the directors that I really like and I'd want to see him work with, I don't think it would work because they both like to control in a good way. Oh,
1: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know
0: what I mean? But a James Gunn movie is a James Gunn movie, and it's going to be fucking fine from start to finish. It might be dark as shit and make you nauseous. <laughs> psychologically, not just gross. You yeah. Know? But it's going to be a good movie. And I, I can't think of any of his movies that hang, except for maybe the Scooby-Doo movies a little bit, and not it being his fault.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's a... That's kind of a different animal with, yeah. with pacing to begin with. I've only seen those a couple times because yeah. of the life.
0: But James Gunn movies, like we've said, are James Gunn movies. And, and I can't wait till the fucking next one. And really, we covered just about everything we could of his on this podcast. Other than Trombia and Juliet, which we're goddamn saving for a trauma <laughs> episode, right? Nine trauma episodes back to back in succession. <laughs> and uh we'll go into a lot of detail on that. But
1: yeah, that and the, the Dawn of the Dead remake will definitely yeah. make an appearance on this
0: show. But other than that, give us some more stuff, James. We want to see it. We want to see it. Absolutely. Well, that's it for the James Gunn episode. So you guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode where we cover horror musicals. On. As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please, please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com.
1: Don't forget to follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbspodcast. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening.
0: Praise Jesus. That's fucking pushing it. This shit's about as far from God as shit can get. You know, you ever seen anything like that? You ever heard of anything like that? Huh? Me neither. I watch Animal
1: Planet all the fucking time.